What's up, everybody? This is not Chucks, and as always, this is another Grimecast. And with me, as always, he uses always like this is a constant thing, as opposed to being an occasional treat. This is browbeat. Yeah, I, I like Maybe to use the uh, like to use the word always quite a bit. Prior to hitting the record button, we were lamenting. I was lamenting about the use of careless language. So, uh, for all you listeners out there, just go ahead and keep track of every time Chuck says something he doesn't mean, and then just pretends that was really profound and deep and shit. Hyperbole. Not just hyperbole. Just straight-up garbo words. Not even slang. Not even placeholder terms for things that have other proper names. It's words you say that you think go there because you heard somebody else say it before and you really look up to them as a personality. You are inspired by your favorite content creator. But every time they say the word adaption, you should vomit instead of saying, that's good, I'll say that too, when adaptation is lying right the fuck there. Uh, That's right. This is a word Nazi podcast. Yes. Enjoy. And if we oh, also also track all the grammar mistakes we're making as we're speaking. That makes it extra spicy, hypocritical. Yes, please do. Um, <clears throat> well, I wanted to mention to you a, a game that I've been playing, uh, not recently, but uh, I played it earlier in the year. I streamed it a lot. I uh, played it to death. Um, you want to take a uh, game? Take a ba- game. Balloon Tower Defense Seven. Uh, six actually is the newest one out, but uh, good good guess. I see. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Resident Evil Village. That's so, the fifth one, right? That, yeah, there's the fifth one. Yeah, the eighth one. Um, That's a lie too. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it, it's the eighth canonical game, but like this fifteenth one in the series. Well, what about Umbrella Chronicles? Anyway, get back to the game. Yeah, that's What's what I'm up? saying. Like, okay, so uh, I was I've watched a couple videos, and everything that I've seen so far keeps giving that game of the year. It's like it's the most complete game. It's the best game. It has a great story. Eh. I don't agree. I love Resident Evil. I, I'm a huge Resident Evil fan. Speaking of Resident Evil, Resident Evil 3 is the game that's uh, on the video for this week. Uh, that would be the remake. Because I bought it and I told one of our viewers that I would play it. And uh, I started a little bit about a quarter of the way in, so uh, please enjoy. But uh, I was... longer this hobby of ours continues, this entire industry, this multi billion dollar little industry of game creation. The further in we go, the more we're paying attention, the more awkward it is to talk about the games that we're talking about. Because just saying Resident Evil is increasingly confusing. And then having to say things like, yeah, it's Resident Evil 3, the remake of the game that was for the Dreamcast, but then became a PS2. Uh, but then Nintendo bought it, and they put it on the Amiga, and then I don't understand why I'm explaining this to you. Jag- they put it on the uh, Jaguar. Like, wait, what? Actually, there is a Resident Evil 1 is on the Jaguar. You can play it with the Wii Zapper, if you remember what that is. I do. That was actually really fun. <clears throat> you can play Resident Evil 4 that way. Really fun game. So, needless to say, I was watching a bunch of videos on it, and they kept saying it was the best game of this year. Now, I haven't played a whole lot of new games this year. I enjoyed Resident Evil 7. Will I say it's the best game this year? No, I'm pretty sure there's other games out there that are more complete and better off, and even independent games that are better. I just was shocked that they were like, the story is so phenomenal, and I'm like, when I'm listening to these people talk about how the story was, to me, the story wasn't really written out that well. I just thought it was really silly. A lot of tropes were used, and they were like, oh yeah, you know, uh, Ethan isn't really real anymore. He died in 7, and now he's a... He's actually a molded, and he's the reason he can take all the damage and glue his hand back together is because of this. It's not the story. 
that that's something they drop on you. Yeah, I think the end question mark. They did. The ending was not that good. So the story, uh, the story of Resident Evil Eight, is Ethan and his wife move to Europe because Chris Redfield pays for them to go out there and starts training Ethan. Uh, in the process, somebody takes over, kidnaps his wife, takes over as her, uh, and they kidnap her baby or their baby, Ethan and his wife. Uh, Ethan has to go through this village, and which I'm going to assume is Romania. To save his daughter along the way he has to fight his way through a castle with uh eight almost nine foot tall big titty big butt lady that everybody had a hard on for earlier in the year lady dimitrescu he has to fight off a giant fish monster and a, another girl uh lady benevito who's a controls dolls and then he has to fight off heisenberg to get ladies and gentlemen this is this is precisely who this game is written for the storytelling being revealed here. It's not great. I'm not saying it's it was the not world. exaggerate. Chucks is transcribing precisely how the game tells you what's happening in the game. It is. As you stare at it and think, cool, keep talking. I'm going to scavenge for some more ammo. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, don't... Story of Resident Evil Village. Go on. Is the internet arguing about whether the big, tall, titty lady's last name is pronounced as Dimitrescu or Dimitrescu with their pants off? That is the story of Resident Evil Village. That is that, that that was the gripe earlier in the year and when it came out. So yes, I would give you that. That was the. Uh, well, I'm I'm griping still because now that the review cycle is wrapping up for the year, we have to discuss who the bestest, nicest, bestest things were in this year. Hearing it again, oh yeah, I'm gonna sound fancy as a primarily North American English speaker and say Dimitrescu. I don't know how still it's pronounced. Up. Dimitrescu. If it's like I said in the game, it's Romanian. Ask a Romanian, they'll tell you. I don't know any Romanians. I know plenty of... Uh, or, I could be wrong, but two Romanians in my life have told me it's that. They could also be wrong. We could all be wrong, Internet. It's hard to embrace, I know. It Here's is. the good news. If that frustrates you, spend some time with your pants off, looking at your favorite thing, you'll feel a little bit better. <laughs> that's how I, uh, that's how I get, get over my angry days as I spend time with my pants off watching videos. Uh, yeah, it's constructive self abuse. Needless to say, I just didn't. I didn't like the story as much as everybody's hyping it up, or they think it's the best complete game. Uh, I know you watched me play it. I mainly I kept did. playing it to get the achievements, but that was all I wanted to do. Was about after the That's, first time playing it. The first time playing it, you were very excited to see how the narrative would travel, correct? And whether it would take you along with its own pace, or whether it would shuck you off so hard. Like, for example, RE5 did for you, where you put in some earplugs and just keep playing the game. Because at this point, your investment in the story is nil. Just pl keep playing long enough to unlock the sexy racist costume for Chris, and then that's the game. For Whereas Chris? here, in Resident Evil Village, I'm very invested in what's going to eventually happen to Ethan's hands. Because they have a journey all of their own. They do. I don't know how in the hell, even if he's molded, how the hell he keeps getting him cut off and put back on. Uh, well, the designers decided this is the important part. Yeah, they did. They most definitely did. But I don't mind games with terrible storytelling if they're honest. The trouble is there's a sense of archness in Resident Evil Village where it really thinks it's being super... In, uh, well, it is clever. It is clever. It's being clever. But cleverness is not what they're delivering. Really, I think it's a matter of um, mm, smugness. How about that? 
Yeah, that works. I'll give you that. Because when when they're when they're stapling together the cool scary castle, the extra creepy spoopy dollhouse, the werewolf infested caverns. Oh, let's not forget the shitty uh, Lovecraft fish people village. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are cool places, but I don't see a coalescing narrative. Well, the narrative is, at the beginning of time, Gwyn, the Lord of Cinder, uh, imparted his soul to four different archlords. I see. Okay. Everything is Dark Souls. Thank you, game. Yes, everything has to be Dark Souls. Can't help itself. It works so well. But the difference... Imagine, Chucks, try and imagine, if you will, you discovering the story of Resident Evil Village because nobody, nobody's talking at you. Everyone's cryptically chuckling to themselves as they say the next smug thing they have to. And then you're rifling through your inventory looking for flavor text on items to figure out what the fuck is happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, give me back my son. Son. <laughs> well, needless to say, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because uh, the past week after the last video, I'm pretty sure you guys heard me with my stuffy nose and congestion and everything. Uh, I, I caught COVID, so I've had plenty of time to... Uh, catch up on videos and dumb shit that I wanted to watch. When I watched well, we're it... We're sorry to hear that. We're glad you're alive. Yeah, uh, after everything, then all of a sudden, bam, I get COVID. And then I have to quarantine for 10 days. So yay me. So much fun. But needless to say, I started watching all these videos, and I saw this, and I thought I would get your opinion when I was playing the game, what you thought of it. Um, In which aspect? Uh, well, if you thought it was... To me, I don't think this would be game of the year. I don't know what you would say on this if you saw uh, uh, any new games. Because I know you don't play new games. You would normally wait about a year or two and then say, all right, I'm going to give it a try. How well, the newest game that I've played this last year was a two-year-old game that got a Final Cut release. Not to say I don't play new games, but I try and avoid playing unfinished games. Would you like to focus on Resident Evil Village? Uh, sure, we can. Let me just pull up this master list of games released in 2021 and we can examine uh, the various nominees for the bestest fucking Everest thing! Resident Evil Village, to me, based on what I saw of you play, seemed like it was a game that was satisfying to unveil. Where will this pathway take me? What secret is in here? It had high fidelity most of the time in portraying crumbling European construction and hollowed-out tunnels, with the mystical elements of magical cogwork elevators and, of course, very tall ladies. I enjoyed the lighting. I enjoyed the textures of wood and stone. The combat seemed maybe the smoothest it's been in Resident Evil in a long time, in between weight and animation. Uh, the voice actors did a good job with terrible dialogue, but this is par for the course for Resident Evil. Yeah. But I also felt it was it's it's as restrictive as it always is in terms of movement for the player, uh, denying the player agency with cutscene moments that occur. It's it's not that bad, but it feels stiffer because you're locked in Ethan Winters's head or his eyeballs, as opposed to having a third person camera. So I thought it was a slick, visually rich, moderately enjoyable experience, because if it were as good as the awards cycle is suggesting. If it were saying, oh my gosh, the best, the Nutchucks would have enjoyed playing the game five times in a row instead of the one and a half times in a row. And then force himself through it for completion's sake to his mind an additional seven times. And the yep. game is short enough that it's designed to be 
available to play through again, but then that's also par for the course for Resident Evil games. So it's lavish, and the setting change is interesting. But in context, considering that it borrows structure and aesthetic from Resident Evil 4, that apparently Capcom is also very interested in remaking, the contextual usage of this game is a little more confusing to me. It's less apparent. Still, on my scale of things, in my book, as Kurt Russell would say in Death Proof, it looks like a solid 7 out of 10. It's above average. It is solidly polished. It is flawed in its design in terms of being disingenuous. I want to be deep! Shoot these werewolves in the ass! And it doesn't have persistent joy. You can negotiate me up to 8 out of 10 for horny reasons, but then Lady Dimitrescu doesn't actually hit my aesthetic preference very much either. You're so, not into 9-foot-tall big-titty ladies? No, um, my my psyche experiences and damage uh, actually position me as a default level of hostility towards women to begin with, which of course can be negotiated down to uh, mutual respect or possibly even camaraderie, depending on how the person behaves. But if you're going to start with, I have an attitude and you will respect me. Mm, mm. One of us is not leaving this room alive. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm aware this is not a healthy position to be in. And trust me, I'm trying to work on it. But I've had enough experiences that regrettably put me on the highly alert and aggressive footing whenever someone arrives and demands respect. And in this case, as the character is written for Lady Dimitrescu, uh, yeah, she's kind of the strongest thing in the house. Shame about the cold, but uh, the power is merited in this little bubble, and it is frequently the characteristic of the, the, the puny and the petty to act real big until challenged. I think for me, too, they, they hyped her up a whole lot. Like, she was everything about like all the advertisement and everything was hyped up around her and she's the first quarter of the game and that's it. And then nothing from there. And it's just like, we don't go back to the castle there. That's that's also why I take points. I take points away because the game succeeded stellarly on its marketing. And after it succeeded in its marketing, everyone else went kind of quiet and now they're bringing you back up because, Oh my God, the story, but the game was sold on horny energy for the majority of people aware of the game outside of the hardcore fan base that will take up whatever RE content they can, including the god-awful CG films. They just need it. I just need this to validate me. As you say, Dimitrescu is in the game for roughly a quarter of the runtime. That's gone. Is the rest of the game pretty good? Turns out, yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. But the focal point, your bannerhead sales, isn't it kind of surprising she's not the nemesis of this particular title? They try to make her that way. They try to make her like Nemesis and Mr. X when she stalks you throughout, but she only goes into four spots, so it isn't like you're getting stalked the whole time once you learn her dang which is why, Which is why I said Nemesis and not uh, Mr. X. So Mr. X lives in half of a game, or less, depending on how you look at it, and is a threat right there. Nemesis follows you through most of Resident Evil 3. Persistent threat. Constant tension. I know they're related, but the reason I chose him versus Mr. X is because of the persistent nature. Which is sad, because when you do the remakes, it's flipped. Mr. X is constantly hawking your ass down, and then the third one, which you guys are watching, he's not there a whole lot. Like, 
In the original Resident Evil 3, like you mentioned, he's constantly on your ass throughout the whole game, like, coming after you. I think I read there's, what, eight encounters? Uh, seven, there's still, seven encounters there's still total. Points. They're still in fixed points. Yeah. And I don't really agree with you in terms of distribution across the games because RE3 Remake is shorter than RE3. And Nemesis shows up through a greater length of the game in terms of events. Because you might spend more time in the police station because it's a slower-paced game in RE Remake 2. I get that. But Mr. X only triggers between two puzzle states when you get, let's say, halfway through the station and when you're about to leave the station. That's a much more confined span of events than City Goes on Fire, uh, Jill is involved, Nemesis begins. And the last thing you do in the game is reread Nemesis, right? With the rail cannon. Yeah. It's, my point stands. Nemesis is there for more of the adventure. Yeah, no, I, no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just. You did. You initially completely disagreed. I'm, 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 I was the, yeah, I was point the, is to fight about it, but the point is this sense of presence. Correct. And Lady Dimitrescu is in the game the least amount of the two villains we discussed, but her impact, the impact of her presence is greater to the point where you think to yourself, oh, wow, she was in the whole game, right? No, she was not. Nope. Still, that's the gripe. The, the, the gripe is... Uh, we were sold an idea that never resulted, actually. I do... Well, I can't take it back. The newest game I might have played this last year might have actually been Yakuza 7, because I got that pretty shortly after its release. Which is atypical for me. Most of the time, I will wait at least a year. Why is that, Chucks? Why do I wait? Because the games aren't normally finished, and you don't like incomplete games. No, but but I bought the Super Ultra Terra Premium Edition. Why don't no? Why are the frame rates so bad? Just because it don't have it worked out yet. I don't. You had four years. Why? Why you do this? Well, they they do it because they need to get it out, and they have a deadline, and they got to make money. Who's got to get it out? The developers. Yep. No, the publisher. Please distinguish between these oh, yeah, competing well. forces. I'm terribly sorry. That's my bad. Yes, uh, the the publishers want it out at a certain time, so they're they're breathing down the developer's neck, and the developers are just crunching the crunching as much as they can to get everything put out in time. So when it's somewhat complete, they're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, toss it out there, and that's what they do. The creator of One Piece just can't help himself and needs to push out X amount of comics per week because he just loves it so much. That that is true. That guy has not stopped pushing everything out. Well, no, but because the the perpetual crunch culture of manga artists is informed by the publications basically saying, you're going to dry yourself to death or fuck off. So if they get used to it, then yeah, they'll spend their whole careers in that mode because it's all they know. And then die early because that's stressful. Doesn't make it good. Doesn't make it right. But the market, I mean, if you want to get published, this is what it takes, baby. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, what is it? They got They normally, what, only have like two weeks where they break during the year for TV shows? Yeah, that's, that's fucked up. And then the, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of an old Dennis Miller quote when he's talking about show business. And then he's taken on the side of someone who's listening to a artist complain 
And his response is, it's supposed to be degrading. It's show business. Which, of course, is a very self-aware reflection of the problem. Do you think that the Great British Bake Off is a benign show? Mm -mm. We don't get to see the parts that aren't edited in. Edited in? Yeah, I, I made a mistake. They're edited in to make it more uh, like the, the behind-the-scenes scenes that are not behind-the-scenes. They're just uh, separately <clears throat> offered to the, to, the, to the viewers. Next scene. Oh, hey, Genshin Impact. Or, excuse me, Genshin Impact uh, came out this year in April. That's the game of the year. Well, a lot of people played that. Well, of course. It's free. It's got cute waifus. I haven't touched it yet. It hasn't been a year yet. Uh, apparently it installs spyware on your system, but you're always welcome to grind for more waifus. Yeah, always. Alder's Gate Dark Alliance. That was a that was a good one. What? The... No, it wasn't. Did that come out yet? I'm Chucks. What did I say a minute ago? Oh yeah, those are new games. Sorry, I'm I'm looking at dumb shit for Resident Evil because you know shit for Resident Evil Village. Surprisingly, this, this is May of the release year of 2021. I'm looking at the listings based on Wikipedia. Some of these are re-releases, like Rust did not come out this year, I promise you, but Rust was ported to PS4. So if you really care about Rust, that particular anti-social simulator, then you're, you're welcome to. Anti-social simulator? Rust is a toxic game. Rust is not a pleasant experience unless you have a certain mindset, which is, of course, you will kill your friends for their pants and a can of beans. I have never... Let me see here. Rust... Well, maybe don't. Do you really want this in your life? Oh, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the subgenre that began with... Oh, jeez. The Arma 2 mod? I forget what its name is now. The zombie one. Daisy? Yeah, Daisy, Daisy. Before it was a standalone. Uh, that was Those were wild days because people were completely hooked on it as it was coming out. And it was in alpha state. It it wasn't ready for public consumption. Doesn't matter. The the those that knew when the internet was youngish, they flooded in. Because the game had a fantastic microphone system, how sound traveled, it was exceptionally tense. Because things sounded appropriately far away or close by, so when you heard sounds you're unsupposed to nearby, you get very antsy. You oh. have to back your ass up to the wall, but not too close to the wall, because otherwise your ass clips through the wall and somebody could stab you in that ass and pull the beans out in the same move. Damn. And people did. We're all friends until it's time for you to be monster food. Which is why I'd like to uh, acquire a copy of Cutthroat Caverns for my board game collection, because that's a game that will test friendships. Cutthroat Caverns? We're, we're all on the same side until it's time to win. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 was ported to the Switch in June. Yeah, I don't count that. What do you mean? It's a brand new release. From something that released last year. Mm -hmm. That then got released 20 years earlier. I hear good things about Death's Door. I haven't heard anything about Death's Door. Well, that's what happens to those indie releases. There's just... Regrettably, there's so much of it. Oh, Grime is one we should check out because it's in our channel name. Oh yeah, so forget about that. Let's uh, let's do, do 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 do. You see, if you're new, let's pretend you're you're 14 years old, 
you're starting to get a certain amount of agency in the sort of media you want to partake in. And then your loving family, who is not dead in the story, they say, well, what do you want for Christmas, Billy? Billy is spelled with an I to leave gender options open. And here's a fucking list of the games that got released this year. Here's all 300 titles. You get three. Pick the three that are good. How are you supposed to know? You might pick up No More Heroes 3, context-free, and play it, and either get a huge erection, or just walk away from gaming forever, because you didn't do the homework, and you got dropped into a 300-level course, and you kept showing up, and every day your mind was blown, but not in a good way. I've heard good things about It Takes Two. That was a good one. That came out this year. Yes, It Takes Two has garnered wonderful accolades, and it deserves to, because that particular developer has been doing excellent things. Not my cup of tea on my own, but then they're not supposed to be played on your own. These are co-op-driven games. Uh, there's one in between I'm missing. I'm sure somebody will remind us. But it was uh, A Way Out, which is a prison escape game, at least initially. That was their first offering, first major offering to the market that got them on the map, and then It Takes Two. Uh, thematically changed from uh, criminals to married people. Going because... through a divorce. Oh, I mean, that's how it's positioned, that the divorce is the thing. But as with most things in life, including relationships, it's not quite that simple. Indeed. Well, uh, Metroid Dread, that came out. It actually came out a few months ago. Metroid Dread, for sure, has been well-received. Apparently, deservedly, good, great. Uh, good to see that the lingering franchise of Metroid is getting solid installments. Allegedly, the game was in development hell for a long time, but it being well-received is a positive indicator. Please look forward to a deluge of imitators and a sequel that misunderstood why the game worked. We... <laughs> hell let loose! Oh yeah, Far Cry 6. Yeah, Far Cry 6 was a wonderful title that deserved all the love that it got. Oh, but Disco Elysium, the final cut, though. That's Speak, the winner. Speaking of but Dis again, Disco Elysium, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off here. Please, uh, cut me off. Have you heard they're making that into a TV show? I have not heard, but I'm not sure they need to. I have, I'm very curious about the 700 megabyte update that's queued up. Allegedly has new animations, so God bless that studio. But tell me, Chucks, without even having finished Disco yet, you fucking piece of shit, uh, how do you feel about the news that Disco Elysium is possibly being negotiated as being a TV show coming out right after the Metal Gear movie? Uh, I'm not too worried about it. I, I think it might be good. It all depends on how they do it. Uh, right now, it's just in talks, is what I hear. Um, there's a bunch of video games that are potentially being made into TV shows slash, well, yeah, TV shows. Uh, Disco, Assassin's Creed is going to be made into a into a TV show, but with Disco, I think it could have potential. It's such a well-written game um, that I think it could go places depending on who picks it up. Why would that work? Let's We don't know anything about this, but let's suppose that for recognition purposes they follow the characters that are in this story in the game. Retelling what is effectively a playthrough in a linear fashion without showing options the way the player does it's it's an inferior portrayal of the events because the disco, as I understand it, is already influenced by both True Detective Season 1 and Twin Peaks. So if it itself is a 
combined force from other influences, then offering it to a greater audience through a translation lens of take game, which is book, and then make book game TV show. I, I fear for the effect. I don't think it will translate very well. It most likely will generate a decent amount of money, but it's a misallocation of efforts, in my opinion. Well, who knows? I think it has potential, but it all depends on how they do it. With anything, anything has potential, honestly. Netflix Cowboy Bebop had potential. And they fucked it up. They certainly did. Just and as like... I recently, it was done primarily because of Netflix and Disney tensions. It was a, supposed to be a political show. Well, they're going to fuck up you, you haka show, also. Very likely. I'm but just... this is all about hedging bets. It's We need a slam dunk to justify the spending to propagate our streaming platform and to show those other guys that we don't even need them. So, spurned lovers, once again. Oh, yeah. Well, they got spurned, what, two years ago, three years ago? When Disney yeah. pulled all their shit off their, uh, their streaming service? Yeah, but when only one of your primary actors watches the goddamn show, is that not a warning indicator? Who? Which one watched it? Oh, dear God. On show. Yeah, I don't... And it shows. Yeah, it, it, it's it's rough. That fucking show is rough. I'm trying to remember what the other... They got Gundam, Yu Yu Hakusho, and... Oh, One Piece. And those... Yeah. Out of those three, the only one that I think might do good is Gundam. Yeah, well, possibly, depending on what they do. If if they get it here, this is unnecessary, but I'll bring this up. Uh, there is a new installment or expansion to Battle Operation Two, which again, video game names are stupid at this point, and it's supposed to portray the <coughs> excuse me, um, a tale of a squad. It's an all female squad with female mechanics and female yada yada. And I didn't look at the Japanese translation. Maybe it's a special Zeon division where they put all the bitches. Uh, and it's going to be a Band of Brothers-esque story, apparently, where they're going to use their tricked-out, standard-issue combat suits with modifications. But the problem is that they're putting in the bad anime elements in, where these military service people pilots that have to put their heads into fucking helmets have elaborate haircuts and shiny accessories and jewelry because they have to be pretty because the boys watch the pretty girls because it just makes more money. But then this has to be a show where it's an all-female cast. They're going to talk about that because they're a force of good and justice against all the men out there on the battlefield. I don't understand why this is the focus. Because yes, I'm aware that Gundam is the medium of exchange and discussion of not the robots. The robots are there to pose threat and credibility. We're discussing other things like the refugee problem. Because in a lot of ways, Gundam is all about the refugee problem. There's people that we have to do something with, and the answer is not throw them in space. And I, I, don't, I can't get past the part where, yes, the girls look good, but why is that the thing we're focusing on? Why is it, oh, teehee, we're all like schoolmate friends, but we're operating battle machines. And again, that haircut doesn't fit in the helmet. What the fuck is happening? With Netflix, gender politics, and discussion, and tokenism, and inclusiveness, if that prevails... If that's the tone, it's going to be extra painful. Because that's very similar to the classic joke about Wooly Madden of Wooly versus slash best friends fame. It was a tweet or some shit where he basically said, we'll betray humanity for a Gundam. And then the response is, you know, that's exactly the opposite. You don't get the show. You're not supposed to be hyped for the big robots. Or if you are hyped for them with a heavy qualification, not of irony, but self-restraint. 
yeah, the tank is cool. Don't don't worship the tank. <laughs> yes, the, the the Avengers helicarrier is really cool. Don't worry about the fact that it's patrolling major cities, watching people. Shit like that. You know, that's what I mean. So if, if Netflix if Netflix wants to do a big old Gundam show, I'm worried about the direction they may impose on the writers. I mean, yeah, that's probably what they're going to do. They're probably going to make the main focus about the Gundams and fuck it up. But it, it is Netflix. One that I want to see that I heard about was uh, Brother in Arms, if you remember that game. Brother in Arms? Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms. The World War II shooter where you play as a squad and you have to get through the certain battles during World War II. All right, well, okay, let's take this detour here. Yep. So Band of Brothers exists. Yep. It's a limited-run show that was, that was good 20 years ago and is fantastic now that I still haven't watched, but the reputation and clips, I, I get that it's a good time. Uh, what's the point of making another one right now? Are we going to discuss new exciting theaters, as in the fighting in South China, or? That, you mean like the air combat that we had in the South China Sea and everything? Yeah, they might do that. But no, it's based off of certain battles during uh, World War II that I can't remember what the front is. It's specifically based off one game. And I remember seeing it, but uh, <clears throat> it is supposed to be done by the same group that did uh, Band of Brothers. So I, it has potential. The only uh, way it's working... Mm-hmm. Is if it is a short story compilation. It is. It's similar to Love Death Robots. Uh, kind of like that. Yes, it's different. I th- it's supposed to follow three different squads during three different battles, and it's supposed to be like a mini series. Is the pitch right now that I've read up on? Or we could just make a forty k show. I would love to see that too, because that little mini series on the guard. You uh, the mini series you showed me was pretty dope. That that fan made. Uh, yeah, yeah. They got hired by Games Workshop, which is much preferable to... And here's an NDA. Or, excuse me, a cease and desist. Stop that shit. You well, work for us, you don't work at all. It, uh, you heard of what Nintendo did recently, right? Remind me. They did a lot of stuff. They do a lot of dumb things. They sued a guy because he sold his Nintendo 64 on eBay for 25 bucks, And they gave him... They're suing him now because of it. I'm sorry, what's the tort? What's the infringement? Uh, he has no right to resell the uh, game, the console. Ah, interesting. Even though so, that's already been proven more. Than, I think the Supreme Court actually took a case back in the mid '90s over it, and the the I think it was Sega that got that sued and lost, saying that well, legal legally distinct entity. But the idea that resale, we we are now calling out resale happening. I'm not sure who's surprised. But someone somewhere thought that application of corporate law could net them some kind of proceedings, or at least a legal precedent. If they win this case, then in the future, their their other consoles will also be safe from official resale. Yeah, that could be. But it, it's Nintendo. I don't think they're going to win this. But it is. Uh, it's going to be at where you're at, sir. So uh, let me know how it goes. You, you go watch the trial. Yeah, I might. Might take a look, but it's, I don't know. It, this is really the prestige TV drama series that, that we deserve, is watching court cases over stupid, stupid events. They had a but whole... they're interesting because 
the thing doesn't matter. It's it's the Crusades all over again. What started the Crusades? Who cares? God wills it. Go get their shit. Jesus was it, born there. We want it. Go take it. That's all that matters. Was he? I don't think that's the case. We don't well, know. Legally speaking, in this document, I can show you the house and the place. I don't know whether there's a strip mall there now, but this is a holy site. Exactly. So go take it. Be happy that you did. Then bring the shit back home. Yes. Try keep the rapes down. Try. I'm like, I understand. I get it. But, you know, keep bad the, optics. Quit keep it. the rapes to the minimum. Or at least a sustainable level. Stop eating the babies. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, man. What? You gotta, uh, the desert. Need to preserve moisture somehow. Oh, dear God. That's, that's The babies are going to keep happening. Do something with them. That's a commodity. Fuck. Uh, all I could think of when you said that was add some bergamot to it. And then the, the John story that you told me. Yeah. <laughs> There's, There's a, a tea in bergamot. Are you going to help me or not? <laughs> I feel like that's how. <laughs> like they're just two two crusaders sitting there eating a baby. There's a tea in that. You gonna fucking help me eat this or not? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like my bad. <laughs> Keep it spinning. Damn it, it's slipping off the spit. <laughs> Fuck. Go get another one. A fat oh. one this time. Oh dear God. But this is as preposterous as the situation is. Honestly, it's not that far removed from what's happening with legal action it is over nonsense but because certain pieces of the rule set we're employing touch this and money could happen let's do it i will say this it's more honest than nfts oh yeah shit what is it stalker 2 mentioned that they were trying to be they were going to sell the nfts for the game why not yeah if, just... people, if people believe it's real hard enough it becomes real oh yeah i mean who who doesn't say that? Hey, I I buy this two hundred dollar game or NFT for this game, that it's still going to be worth two hundred dollars in three to four months, and not twenty dollars. It will it will only go up in value because people will want the scarce thing, this mass produced scarce thing that we have. People need it. Exactly. Well, Chucks, you get to witness as an adult what the entire life cycle of a bubble looks like, because we lived through one. But we well actually two, uh, but we weren't there on a fair operating basis. We just were subject to being born and then growing up as it was happening. Beanie babies. Well, sh- sure. I was thinking more real estate, but Furbies and Beanie Babies you can also relate to this. You don't remember the Beanie Babies boom of the the? I was not involved in that particular I, enterprise. I'm aware of it, but aware actually, as I lived through it. You you were in Russia when that happened. I forgot about that. That was about yeah, 93 yeah, to 96. Furby was the one that got my attention. But again, even such as, everyone thinks this is really cool. Why? This looks dumb. Shut up. Everyone likes it. Now it's important. Okay. Okay. This, uh, all, all, all the bubbles that I think of, uh, do you, you know about the tulip bubble of the 1600s? I did not. No, please try to articulately describe this to me. <clears throat> So in Amsterdam, in the 1600s, tulips are not native to the area. Uh, tulips became more valuable than diamonds. So people were trading tulips for the price of houses, thinking, oh, hey, I, I, like the bulbs. So they weren't getting the flower itself. They were just getting the bulbs and saying, hey, I'm going to buy this bulb from you. People were so, so hyperinflating these tulip bulbs 
that the uh, bubble burst two years later when people realized it's a fucking flower. This is dumb. And then the market went out from under people and all these merchants and traders and people who put essentially their life savings into it uh, kind of went tits up and lost all this money because it went from like the price of, of a diamond to the price of a standard fucking tulip bulb for like seven bucks. And $25,000 was the most that somebody spent on one at the time. So that's nowadays money. So think about spending $25,000 on a tulip bulb. So all these bubbles that we're talking about, like the housing bubble of the 2008s, the late aughts, or the Beanie Baby bubble, or this Bitcoin bubble that I'm going to assume is going to probably burst in the next two to three years. It's, it's, it could all be related back to the super hyperinflation of tulip bulbs in Amsterdam in the 1600s. Something we keep doing to ourselves as humanity. It's yeah, we, the flip side of Mansa Musa saying gold for everyone because we got a lot of it what i find this what i find amusing about this in particular is uh whenever i express a manic tendency towards a special interest that has little to do with reality people generally disapprovingly wag their eyes or fingers in my direction saying no 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 no, stop doing that that's not normal don't do that when everyone around me Seemingly normal people does the exact same shit, but en masse. If I challenge that, they say, you idiot, get with the program. Cheddar is the new platinum. Ch cheddar cheese, yeah. Which you've had in abundance for soul, yeah. But now it's got, they rub truffles on the cow, so the cheese is tastier. Gotcha, <laughs> fucking idiots. <laughs> Please. Please enjoy the cheddar and Gouda ethnic cleansing. I'm going to be right over here until you until the madness passes. I thought it was bad when it happened to me when I thought I got to know everything about the subject now because fuck you. No, what, that, that condition also affects regular folk and it's a lot scarier because y'all lack self-awareness. We do. I'll, I'll I mean, I, I know when the crazy is happening to me, and I apologize profusely. Like, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to do this thing. I'll try to keep it down to spare the rest of you. But then when everyone else gets involved, the fucking economy collapses. And they can't be talked out of it because it's it's good right now. It's like when I talk, I talk to my father-in-law, and he's very, very interested in digital currency. Because he was made aware by somebody else of digital currency, and somebody else was in on the grift. So, but this is a tertiary or quaternary wave attachment to whatever coin you want to attach to. And timing worked out. Timing worked out. He grabbed, he had like, I don't know, $20,000 laying around. So he splashed that into a fractional digital currency that hit a certain threshold. So what he got roughly five times that amount out. That's blind luck. That's opportunity and blind luck. This was not a stratagem. Just someone said, hey, dude, take your spare lots of money and make it into more lots of lots of money. And ultimately, somebody in that tulip story you mentioned, somebody made out like a bandit and was subsequently killed by their friends and wealth was redistributed. But the gambit paid off. The grift paid off. And because we know that winners exist in these situations, everybody wants a piece of the pie. You remember the bowl exercise? You bring in strangers, you put 20 bucks and singles in the bowl, and you tell them the rules. I've never heard that. Well, I told you before. I'll remind you. A simple exercise. You bring in strangers. You set them down. Like five to ten people, right? You say there's a bowl in the middle of this table. We're going to have five five-second rounds. Every round start 
we will double the amount of money in the bowl that remains. The optimal strategy is, okay, everyone fuck off, don't touch the bowl until the end. In the end, we all split the pot evenly. Because let's do the math, Chucks. 20 bucks. What's double that? 40. What's double that? 80. What's double that? 160. What's double that? 320. Okay. So if you walked in with nothing, and you all shared it evenly, how much money do you all get if there's 10 of you? When, when was the last round? <laughs> 320. 320? 10 of you? 32 Here. bucks. Everybody gets 32 bucks for sitting there for like five minutes. Uh, sure. I, I'm pretty happy getting $32 for nothing. Absolutely. I want to be a statistic. But no, your brain says, I could have $20 right now. If I'm the fastest, I can walk out of here with 100 bucks because when the round starts, I get in there, I snatch all the money. I could have $100 by the because I'm a winner. God damn it. Fuck you. As you might imagine, despite the rules being clearly explained, Every single time the bowl empties. Every round. Every round. Because somebody out there thinks they're cleverer than the rest. And then there's people who don't want to reach in the bowl that see people reaching in the bowl. And their brain fires off saying, no! Money! And they reach in. They can't win. They're too slow. But they also reach in. It's like pe most people, slash everyone, is immune when the group behavior occurs. Now somebody's going to leave there with the most amount of money. And that amount of money will not have been the maximum available amount of money. Because what if we do the Cutthroat Caverns thing and then somebody waits till the last round with his 320 bucks and they swipe everything? Wow, you walked out of here with more than was possible by just raising the fields and salting them when you're done. But no one has that kind of tactic. Everyone just thinks, ah, I want. Now, if you, if you load the dice and you say everyone paid 10 bucks to be there, again, psychologically, the landscape changes. I gotta make my money back and then take everyone else's money. But no, in this fair example, the money is provided by an extraneous party. So sorry for the side venture, but that's, that's, that's tulips, that's NFTs, that's coins, that's real estate. It's, uh, it's, it, it's streamer individuals. I was gonna say streamer girls, but that's not even true anymore. It's whatever sexual fancy that titillates you. We'll be streaming from time to time. Please consult the patronage chart on the left. Uh, you only get to see the inside of my asshole at the fifth tier of contribution, uh, where I'll be streaming that event uh, in a super special premium um, session. That's how I do in, it. In the middle of all of that, we have to somehow find joy and happiness when we're actively hustling each other. And we're just a bunch of fucking apes in a ball just duking it out. Just evil apes in a ball, dude. Dude, just punching the shit out of each other. Uh, as I was depressingly describing one perceptive element of reality, I came across a Steam game called Until We Die. And, uh, Shucks, if you look up Until We Die on Steam, I think you'll understand why I'm immediately interested. Well, let's find out. Until we die. Well, I found it. Until we die uh -huh. demo. Uh-huh. Nice, uh, drawn backgrounds, hand-drawn. Very nice. Metal slug style. Metal slug style, yes. Look at this. And it's, it looks like two Russian gentlemen on a what was on a cart uh, building and fortifying things. And uh, it looks like they're underground. I don't know what they're doing exactly, but... Well, defending your base where you have to run around as Ivan. 
scientists to people fight mutants in the post-apocalyptic subway. So you are. This looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, it looks really good. Pixar Games. And it's bleak as shit. And it looks like it's crafted with love. Referencing an old franchise that uh, Neo Geo has been buried by SNK for forever. And I mean, it features Russians living like rats in a hole, but at least there's smokes and bullets. I, mean, I, I love Metro. <laughs> this is this is highly tailored to engage uh, anxiety and depression, but in a in a fun way, if that makes sense. It does it has pretty decent reviews? Released, released in June, mostly to very positive. There's been seeing improvements. Again, sometime next year it'll be ready to go. But it's priced at sixty nine nine currently, so clearly the devs understand the market. And <laughs> I, I will I will look into this a little bit more. But it's nice that, that positive releases do occur, and they're niche. They have zero marketing, but when they show what the gameplay is about, your brain can make the assessment. Am I interested, or am I not? If there's a demo, well, okay, let's touch it. Let's, let's try it. And it looks like it's not fair and not interested in letting you win easily. So, good. <laughs> it knows what it's about. Meanwhile, Scarlet Nexus is just fucking confusing. Never heard of Scarlet what? Nexus. What's Scarlet Nexus? Oh, it just appeared in the PSN store one day with a huge banner being pushed. And it has these nebulous figures and hoodies with glowing eyes, a la Killzone. But it's actually a uh, highly stylized Japanese sword combat game for, you know, people who really enjoy Code Vein. Yeah, I've actually Does that we did talk about this. We did. We did. It's just, the name doesn't convey anything about anything but if you play the game then you'll see there was a really clever reference to the second boss what <laughs> the second boss Fucking, i don't know i don't know and i don't really care i want to care but there's this sense it's um again to borrow from a different more popular property there's a discussion about three people sitting down watching the game awards and two of the people have been in the industry and familiar with the industry for a very long time. And the third person was basically fresh. What they would refer to as a normie, if you're being unkind. And the joy of the experience, apparently, was the third person getting excited at everything they saw. <laughs> and the other two just going, ugh. And explaining why they shouldn't be excited. So the, the fun was stealing fun from somebody else. And that's not a great place to be in because ideally we're seeking joy from our experiences and interests but as it stands here uh i'm looking at the games released this year and i know i know in my heart that the vast majority of these were done with many labor hours and good intentions and caring developers and if the mistakes were made they were either in a design phase so they were executed as best they could but with questionable decisions or publishers for the bigger title games, made demands. Somewhere in production, demands were made, spoiled everything, and so we have compromised products hitting play. And there's things like Guardians of the Galaxy that are highly recognizable and stylish and colorful, and it's apparently a mostly fun game. That doesn't make it amazing, but it's not a disappointment, so that makes it feel better. Halo Infinite. Very popular franchise. People love the Halo, and I understand why. And then a week after it got released to the public in a multiplayer basis for free, the gripes also began because the game said, we're going to put you on the unlock treadmill. And people said, yay, I love Halo. 
And when it became apparent that the treadmill is just crushing in its pace and its reward uh, rhythm, people started complaining. I'm not, I can't play the game because I'm compelled to unlock. I don't know, Chucks, if you, if you heard about this, but basically, if you have running objectives, and those objectives are, in a match of this type, do this thing, and the match happens to be objective-oriented, can you guess how many players aren't playing the match? Uh, half? Probably more than half, because they have a limited amount of time to fulfill these goals during events. So if we're playing soccer in Halo, one guy's going for the ball, everyone else is rubbing their dicks in the wall. Because if you rub your dick in the wall 25 times, I'll give you a level up. So the game isn't technically unplayable, but given player psyches, the conditions are such that the game is deeply compromised, since it requires 85% of the players in a given lobby to sort of play the game. As opposed to, are all of us here waiting for that one alien ship to spawn so we can get five kills? Okay, do we form an orderly line, or, ah, uh, gotcha. Just just brutal melee each other. Why not? Let's do that. Yeah, that's so, how it works. That's to, to highlight that the banner, the poster, Halo, has very little to do with what's actually happening in the package. So how are you supposed to navigate this and figure out what the good stuff is? I mean, you could do research, but that's hard and lame, and reading is for Beano Clards. I'm excited now more about Elden Ring. But that's only because I did the background homework of playing Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, with Bloodlone preceding that. I'm still playing Dark Souls 3. I've put in respectable amounts of hours to discover what the games do and what they're about. But it's very challenging for me to consider a new user who has no prior background or expectation to look at this thing, this banner, this game, and then say, that looks fun. It takes two. Looks way more fun. There's people dangling from a dandelion as it floats. That looks fun and colorful and bright. Also carries no baggage of any prior legacy games. Outside of a uh, escape plan, but even then, doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Honestly, a, a really solid value proposition. You give me one game's worth of money, I give you three games that are now polished, repaired, and all the bad stuff is taken out. Like a very important story character from Mass Effect 3 that was locked off as a $10 DLC paywall. But in effect, yes, pun, you're buying experiences from the last decade. They're good experiences, not new material. It's getting difficult to determine what the fuck is happening in the genre at any one given time without becoming a subject matter expert. The good news is, is if you're like Nutchucks, uh, bright, shiny colors and clicking noises excite you, you throw in some titties, it's going to be a good time. So your expectations are significantly lowered. Maybe you'll have a good time with no matter what you touch. The problem is, when I ask you how it was, your response, like Nutchucks, is, that was good. Yep. I, I struggle with that. Yep, yeah, it was okay. You look at Life is Strange, colon, True Colors. I still haven't touched Life is Strange, the series. You look at the packaging, you look at the banner, look at the poster, and I think to myself, what about this appeals to the potential audience? And the only answer I can really think of is, oh, that, that lady's haircut um, falls within my interest range slash my aesthetic that I wear on the daily, so maybe this game is about people who look like me and think like me and act like me. I'm buying this game for validation. 
the supernatural element of the series is not at all apparent. But if you know, you know. I'm Marketing, d- folks, it's fucking confusing. <clears throat> I'm just like you. I've never played Life is Strange. Uh, I will probably neither. Pl- I won't play probably either one. Um, they just don't look like they're my type of games. But don't you want to understand the psyches and experiences of teenage girls? Uh, no. And implicit sex crimes? Uh, no. <clears throat> Not my thing. No, but that's that's really relevant to you in your upcoming life. This is research, Chucks. I guess. <laughs> we want to go that route. Uh, there is the Dark Pictures Anthology, which basically had one game in the anthology for a good number of years. And then four more came out this year. It used to be Until Dawn, which I think you've heard of. I have. And Until Dawn is well regarded. Apparently, rightfully so. I don't usually play uh, spoopy scary games for the sake of spoopy scary. But yeah. Until Dawn is well beloved. I watched a playthrough once. And then starting with Man of, Man of Adan and Until House of Ashes, as I understand through secondhand means, there is a wild swing of quality. Some are pretty good. One is great. One is awful. Explain that to me. (laughs) Let's say I play the the good one, and I went, wow, this is so good. Is there any more? And they say, yeah. And I ask, any good? And I have to make a face like, I don't think so. Maybe. Not not, not a recommendation. It's not a vote of confidence. And you might say, oh, cool, and walk away. Or you might be invested and say, but why would you give me something so good? And then inform me that everything else is a turd sandwich. I don't like that. Because it makes it fun? I don't know. This used to be a this used to be a good hobby. Wholesome. Pleasant. <laughs> then we added people, and people do what people do. And they they fuck things up. Well no, it's not even it's not even that. They do what they do. They develop in the way that people tend to do when they interact. Which is the bowl method. Again, when there were three players playing the bowl game with money, people got paid fairly. When it's 30 people, get bent. No. In fact, the rich will get richer. The rich are fast. Yeah. <sighs> Chucks, this is going into a spiral here. We started with the Resident Evil Village and the Game Awards. <laughs> and now, now we're discussing economic disparity. That, as that, we tend to do on the show. Yeah, we, we tend to go pretty dark after a bit. We, we somehow, at least, at least it's not as bad as what we used to do and Somehow we'll always end up in porn. I was going to say rape jokes, but yes. That too. We, that's rape jokes and porn were our thing back in the day. For, for clarification, one of us was significantly more prone to that than the other. And it's not the person speaking. No. Uh, well, this was also six years ago, and I was pretty disgruntled back then, so. Oh, yeah. yeah no. that, that, that was the reason. Yeah, that, that was the only reason. Right. Uh, <laughs> the change topics here. Uh, have you seen anything new since the last time we talked, my man? On TV, movies, anything of the sort? I have, actually. What do you watch? There, there's a movie that I put on for... Well, first of all, I received a care package which contained a movie I was missing from my collection for a long while. I keep remembering that I had it, but that was a couple of collections ago. And the movie was The Rock with Sean Connery Ed Harris, and a number of other people that I really enjoy. Of course, Nick Cage being top billing for me. And it was early on in Michael Bay's career, and I think the movie still holds up quite well. But I want to know if you have any feelings about it, Chucks. I remember watching it a few years ago, and I enjoyed every minute of it. 
It is a good... If you take out the seriousness of it, I guess you could you could enjoy it. But I, I, I liked it. It had enough action. The story was okay. It's a Michael Bay film. So you know there's going to be tons of explosion, explosions. And it fits perfectly into this movie. But uh, I liked it. I, li- I think it was a pretty damn good movie. The, the idea of pissed off military people going up on Alcatraz and holding, I think, what is it, a a bomb that has uh, poison in it or something like that? Like I said, it's been a Bri- while. Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel, after asking his government repeatedly, repeatedly, to pay out the benefits that the, uh, the families of deceased soldiers during block ops are owed, but because they're off the books, those benefits are never paid, uh, the general is left without his wife, who died for reasons, not tragic reasons, most likely, just uh, unfortunately the person was ill or old, decides to take an elite group of trusted soldiers, as well as a couple of new recruits, to break into a military storage facility, that's classified, to steal nerve gas rockets, and then fortify his position in Alcatraz Island, former prison. And then hold the city of San Francisco hostage until the government pays. But what he's asking for is that the government pay the benefits to the families who are owed benefits from a slush fund that the government secretly holds from illegal arms trade around the world. So basically he's looking to correct an injustice by using dirty money to pay for the dirty deeds. He's he's opposing the state. And you said the serious stuff, but I want to really stress that the the main antagonist of the film isn't really a villain. As it turns out, he wanted to use a show of force as opposed to fires bomb cities, which some of his men are much more interested in doing, and that becomes a extra crux within the film. But because of that highly calculated move, the 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 state responds to being challenged by saying, "Who is our best chemical expert man?" Which happens to be Nicolas Cage. And they fly him across the country from D.C. to L.A. Excuse me, San Fran. And because the timetable that the hostage taker, the Brigadier General, sets of about three days' time, 30 hours, they're scrambling. What do we do? How do we not get our city bombarded by what are now terrorists? Well, we have to get inside Alcatraz. Alcatraz is impregnable. Who knows? Alcatraz's layout from the underneath. Apparently, one person knows. Who is that one person? Oh, it's a former British spy that was captured by the state and held without trial for 30 years. Once again, who is the real villain of the story? So the action hijinks are that a elite team led by Michael Bean of Aliens and Terminator fame, as well as Abyss and other movies, they are tasked to make an insertion, aquatic insertion, into Alcatraz Island, the under- underground system, being led by Sean Connery's character, who was the British former spy, and escorting Nicolas Cage, who's there to disarm the rockets. And then uh, badass action ensues. Uh, spoiler for the movie, uh, the, the, the insertion team does not fare well at all. Everyone but the main characters die. I remember and that part. <clears throat> really harsh scene. Although, if you listen to the bonus features, which I did, there are marine instructors that taught the people in the film how to look like soldiers. And basically they're saying, yeah, you know, uh, a, a squad of Marines would have held that position, even though they were completely outflanked, would have set a point element 
And that element would establish perimeter security, and then the rest of the team would move up to a perimeter, and then once that zone's cleared, we would advance. Yes, clearly I understand. Military tactics are not what movies do, most of the time. And you know something? When movies do do military tactics, it looks boring. Because it's tight, secure, and efficient, not flashy. Anyway, Michael Bay is renowned for uh, explosions and action and military fetishism. And, I mean, those, you can definitely lean on the memes. That's fine. I get it. But I appreciate that this person clearly has an eye and talent for directing action in a visually compelling way. It's, it's good to see Michael Bay doing things well. And this is still reasonably grounded for Mr. Bay, because he would then go on to make Armageddon, which I didn't know, but apparently it is actually the last well-grossing fully original movie that Hollywood has made. Everything since then has been adaptations that actually scored well, or broke even, or made a profit. Excuse me. But mm. uh, afterwards, Michael Bay was saddled with Transformers, and I don't think he wanted to, but I think the money was good. So he had the most fun he could with the premise, which is broad caricatures of people, and uh, just the most explosive action he could manage with practical stunts as often as possible. And yes, those movies are lambasted for being CG messes and incomprehensible. I don't think that's the director's fault, honestly. I think it's the material and the purpose, because the purpose was make me some goddamn money. Push toys. Anyway, back to The Rock. I yeah. really appreciate the serious element. Honestly, when I, when I was younger, I didn't care. Evil soldiers, yada yada. They're not. They're not. The tragedy of the movie is that the state still wins. The government is safe. No poison missiles were launched. Business as usual. And yes, if you, if you, if you were willing to hazard a guess, the families that lost members to black ops operations remain unpaid. Good, wholesome family fun. Uh, speaking of somebody with a permanently mangled finger, I can tell you it doesn't feel good. I, I believe that. Uh, I typed in The Rock and it gave me a city close to where I live that's called The Rock. Oh, with a the and everything? Yeah, The Rock is a city in Georgia. Fun okay. fact, I live in Georgia. Anything noteworthy about the city? Possibly a rock or a The Rock? No. Do they, ha do they have a The Rock pizza location in The Rock? Uh, I didn't see one in there. Hold on. Let me let me check again. Uh, the Rock. Let's go in there. Examine the amenities. Uh, it has the Rock Ranch, which is, I believe, where Truett Cathy, who the guy who created Chick Fil A, that was who he created that. That's about it. Huh. Uh, Oak Hill Farms, Cook Charlotte store. Nope. There's there's jack shit here. It's a very small unincorporated town. Um, Interesting. And that's the way they like it, or they are looking for some fresh blood? Oh, no, I'm going to assume because it's Georgia, that's that's the way they like it. <laughs> yep, some folks just won't be left alone. Yeah, but that's before we bring your favorite franchises to you. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm pretty sure if somebody, if they could remake, if they remake The Rock, starring The Rock, in the town of The Rock, it, it would just be... Uh it, it just, just stop. Yeah. Yes, the joke is funny, but if you think about it, that's a terrible idea. It, it's a fucking terrible idea. Now, um, yes, you can meme it up and say Michael Bay will return to direct, maybe even produce The Rock, because if it's if it's filmed at The Rock, Georgia, it'll probably have a fraction of a budget expense that the others had. Oh, most Could definitely. Work. 
could work. You, you, you could shoot a good movie anywhere, but what makes a movie good, that's, that's the real trick. If it's an action... I mean, remember Man of Steel? Superman of Steel, DC? Zack Snyder directed that? That's the one with... Uh, yeah, 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 I remember that one. Ma- oh. Michael Shannon, who I just adore as Zod. Anyway, uh, much like the first Thor film, I found it curious that the action took place in the middle of fuckhole nowhere USA, and in one of those movies, not Thor, Thor the first one, uh, the action looked good. They they filmed a superhuman punch-up scene in ostensibly a main strip of a town with a population of maybe 45. I'm, I'm low-balling it. But my point being, the location itself probably has visual appeal, depending on well, how the lighting the props, the angles, and the distance and the spacing are. You can take a dust bowl and make it look good. In fact, a lot of car commercials are filmed in the middle of arid shitholes where nothing is happening. But if you kick the dust up just right, and that paint job shimmers in the sun, now you got a visual spectacle. So, I lambaster idea of The Rock being remade at The Rock, starring The Rock with The Rock catering. It's not that bad of an idea. You, nobody will fund it. But it could work. Anything can so work. Thank, thank you, Chucks. Thank you for providing inspiration with the most least effort <laughs> tactic possible. Yeah, Thanks. At any time. That's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to good. make things easy for you. Good, good, good job. Uh, well, uh, So I, I enjoyed The Rock immensely, and it was part of the Nicolas Cage marathon that I'm gradually putting my wife through. And she... She memes it up. She says, yeah, he just plays the same character over and over, yada, yada. But I think his performance is well settled. For example, something that... Two things I noticed. Uh, One, you can tell they filmed The Rock on location. uh, Because if you listen for it, there's a bay horn that you can hear in the background in the majority of the scenes taking place on The Rock. Hoot. Hoot. It's very annoying once you hear it, but he can respect the fact that it confirms filming was done on site. But what I found to be lame as a kid, I find very amusing now, which is Nicolas Cage's character, Stanley Goodspeed. Nick, I'm sure it was in the script, but he, I'm sure he also punched it up a lot. He's trying to be a wholesome man in a series of stressful situations, and he largely succeeds, as in it takes quite a while for his character to break psychologically and shoot someone to death and that really bothers him and this is a guy who pointedly throughout 99% of the runtime tries to avoid swearing and he'll say frickin or do some other things people around him are shouting motherfucker like there's no tomorrow but this is a man who prides himself on the idea that he is not like that that he's not vulgar he does say fuck twice but I appreciate that the actor decided when the character does say fuck, it's meaningful. It's at an appropriate time. It's a throwaway detail. Who cares? Explosions. I appreciate it. Quite a bit. I, I gotta, also... Go ahead. No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I, I gotta ask, are you gonna watch the new Nicolas Cage film that he's coming out with? Uh, I mean, he's in a few of them. Should I look up what he's got in the pipeline? The unbearable weight of massive talent. He plays himself. I'm interested. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Again, we're leading on the part where memes, memes, memes. But I've recently grown exceptionally fond of Nick Cage. 
in a lot of ways. Like, just develop previous appreciation precisely because this is a person who throws themselves at their craft and relentlessly does what they feel should happen to a given character in a given scene. They inhabit the character of the movie. And you could argue, well, Nick Cage is Nick Cage. Until you watch enough breadth to see Nick Cage uses physicality, his appearance, his inflection, and his big eyes to help imbue what the character should be doing at a certain time in the movie. Or the work, or the show, or whatever. A lot of people don't want to see that. That's fine. They're denying themselves additional enjoyment. So let me see if there's a synopsis for this. Uh, as I do so, it is with great pleasure that I also announce that I have seen a movie that I've heard about, but never really watched attentively, which is The General's Daughter. Are you aware of this? Uh, I am not. Let me look it up. It's a Travolta film. Because, you know, Face Off wasn't available, so I watched the other one. <laughs> the General's Daughter is a movie based on a book. And it oftentimes shows because the the director of the film directed Con Air, as well as other things. It becomes more apparent as time goes on that this director is mostly visually orientated by way of music video or commercial. Because they will make intense scenes that have emotional charge. But these scenes will connect in awkward, clunky ways to other scenes. So it's not a smooth flow. But that's not dissimilar to comic book writing. Because you have characters saying declarative, important, impactful things that overblow the situation and don't connect to anything else. So all you can do is escalate. The General's Daughter is a movie in which a very Jack Reacher-like character, a army-employed investigator, played by John Travolta, plays an undercover guy who is stationed in Louisiana, apparently, and uh, he's trying to bust someone for an illegal arms trade because somebody in the armory is dealing to non-military personnel, which is a big no-no, understandably. But then he gets involved in an investigation when... Content warning. Uh, the general's daughter is found bound and dead on a exercise field. And apparently there was also uh, sexual misconduct involved. This is understandably very upsetting. And Travolta is commissioned by the base to go investigate. Go figure out what happened. Why is this woman dead? He met her briefly before the death happened. And there was a bit of a flirtation going on, but basically she didn't reciprocate his advances. So his only interest is, oh, wow, I knew her, but now she's dead. This is awkward. The trouble is, Travolta's character is all over the place in terms of motivations. Because he's smart enough that he can trick people, behave with an accent, look dumb but then he's conveyed to be very capable in hand-to-hand -hand combat because he attended all of his combatives in training. But then he never went to college, so he's got a chip on his shoulder. So he loves to stick it to the educated officer corps, allegedly. But to get his rank, he had to have been in college. It's confusing. And then he is partnered up with this other forensic investigator woman who they have had a brief relationship with, was married at the time. And the woman is very good at her job, but the movie wants to remind you how everyone will treat her sexist and then she'll just outsmart them and they feel real bad about what they did. 
and then Travolta and her mostly just exchange one-liners back and forth by means of dialogue, both of them just rolling their eyes and snarking each other like they're children, because it feels like a comic book. James Woods is in the film. I, I love pretty much every time I see James Woods, because he's a very brooding and manic actor. He, looks, he, he acts very arch and kind of fey, and that makes sense, because he's secretly a gay. <gasps> and he can't be gay in the army. It's not allowed. And the general's daughter is revealed to be just a big old sex fiend. She's got a secret dungeon in her quarters and everything, and in that dungeon there's videos of her doing kinky things. Oh no! Kinky things involving leather outfits, gags, and chains and whips. Wow! I believe the book came out some time ago, which is kind of why 92. it's curious. So not even that far ago, but before the internet, when filthy kinky shit wasn't everywhere. You know, It, it, it feels tame by today's standards. But it's real curious how it's focused on in the film as no one can know. Oh my god, can you believe? Nobody can know. Now it is also underpinned by breaching army code of conduct. Meaning, if that gets out, big humiliation for everyone. Dead careers. Because army tradition is you can fuck the other troopers, just never say anything. Uh, and of course, as the investigation proceeds, it's a big old conspiracy because everybody knew, but nobody could talk about it because guess what? According to the setup of this book, on a field exercise, the general's daughter, who was also an officer who went to PSYOPs later on, was on a night exercise maneuver. And because she was the one lady around, her squad decided to take liberties and string her up with tent uh, anchors and just run a train as long as the exercise lasted over and over and then left her for dead. Because you can just do that in the army, I guess. Because men can control their urges when there's a woman around. Uh, and the news made its way to the officer who was her father. I don't think it was a general at the time. And he understandably told his peers, these people have to pay. And his peers said, if we admit to this happening, everybody's in trouble and your career is over. So just pretend it never happened. So then the father has to tell the daughter in the hospital, just never think about this again. It never happened. And the way it comes across is so damaging to her that the rest of her career, this happened X amount of years ago, let's say seven years ago, I think, uh, she built the entire trajectory of her career to get back at daddy while aggressively sleeping with all the other people as much as possible, just spreading her around the base, I suppose, or wherever she was posted, while having this intense, do you love me now, daddy energy. So again, the book may be written in 1992. I get the feeling the sensibilities predate that by another 20 years. Maybe. And this is all a series of revelations towards the end. There's betrayals, there's deaths, there's danger. Uh, a man gets killed by a bayou boat engine, but that's early in the movie. It was bizarre to watch because I'm not, I wasn't particularly interested in the plot. But I was curious to see how this would keep rolling out because people acted like they were cartoon characters. Now, for contrast, there are some places, like anytime Aaron Sorkin is involved as a writer, people speak as if they're characters in a book. And I appreciate that, being a loquacious fellow myself. But the rhythm and flow is clearly an airtight written line or set of lines for dialogue 
that I love hearing, but the average public would feel is kind of wordy or maybe wait, people don't talk that way. They just they get up, up, upset that the characters speaking the way they are. But Chucks, so you've watched Gone Girl, you've watched uh, Social Network, you maybe even watched a West Wing or two. There's a very specific cadence to the character's speech and the words they employ that kind of has Aaron Sorkin marks all over it. He's got a new film coming out. It's about, uh, let me think now. Mm. I forget the name. I should, but I never grew up with a TV show. But it is something about the Lucy people. Or an old sitcom that was very famous. This is, this is now in the same vein as the House of Gucci. We're going to be talking about the people involved with the popular thing the world loved. Which has a place. It has, it, it has a thing. How about the new TV show starring Nicole Kidman, uh, I Love Lucy, that's based off that? I think that's what I'm talking about. For, about, yes. uh, for Amazon, it also has uh, Javier Bardem. 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 Oh, is Javi involved? Oh, cool. Thanks well, again, so. I didn't even... I became aware of the show. Like, it clicked as a thing. Because, I mean, I get ads for all kinds of coming up on your favorite streaming platform. I could give a shit. It's not about the actors I enjoy. It's, I heard or read Aaron Sorkin's name involved. My ears perked up and said, I'm the fuck there. I'm there. I want to see it. Because I trust that kind of talent. Now I hear that the House of Gucci is kind of a mess, but Adam Driver's there and Jared Leto, the psychopath, is wearing uh, a fat suit. So I kind of morbidly want to see it because many actors who are once or currently famous are involved, can't be terrible, might be okay. If Sorkin's doing the dialogue, if you add Fincher helped produce this on top, you got my attention. I know these craftsmen. I know what they do for and two actors. I'm there. If Nick Cage is in there, even better. Uh, it's already been released. First, uh, it got released uh, on the 10th. Does, is, it uh, a, is it a finished thing or is it an ongoing thing? It's a movie. It's a movie. Okay. It's uh, being the I Ricardos. Ricardo, yeah, Ricky Ricardo, that's the one. Yep. But again, these names don't mean anything to me because I was not part of the cultural tapestry when that was relevant. We're now looking back across time. Like, remember, you remember CRT TVs? Yeah, the family clustered around a 14-inch screen. The dad sat at the end of the table and would just beat the kids into, into quiet so you could hear the... Never mind. So we have, a again, another, another distortion of perception where Browbeat is super interested for weird reasons and a thing that everyone would kind of roll their eyes at and think, what's the big deal? But then if enough scuttlebutt is created, then the herd gets to bray and go, oh my gosh, this is amazing! Like, they know the word Gucci because it's, it's portrayed as something important in your lives. You, you have to love Gucci or else you're nobody. Or Louis Vuitton. Whatever the fuck. Not important. But if the Ricardos is successful, it's not because of the name Ricardo. It's because of other recommendations. It's uh, another painful reminder of this thing that I bring up occasionally. Very specific soundbite. Very specific memory. When that somebody told me as a response, why the fuck would I go to watch the Lego movie? We talked about this, Chucks. Uh, you understand? Or have we not? I know I brought it up. I think you may have brought it up. All I know is the Lego movie is pretty good, and I went to see it because I had kids, and I enjoyed it. So anybody, And that's why most people would go to see it, because it's recognizable. And if I were to say, as I have before, I know the writing team because I had no investment in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs until I was in the room when that CG film was playing and I stopped what I was doing, 
and made my way to the couch to watch the rest of it. Not because it's a cutesy, wholesome family CG film that is a book, apparently. It's because the dialogue, the comedy pacing, they were very competently put together. So then I was made aware of 21 Jump Street. And somebody like yourself would say, oh, dude, that was a TV show. That's not the part that I'm interested in. It's the same writing group. So let's see what they did. Guess what? For what it is, I find it very enjoyable. Not so much the sequel, but again, the talent changed. So when the Lego movie's on the horizon, I mean, I like Legos, but that's not the reason. The stop-motion style animation is very satisfying because I still remember Wallace and Gromit and to some degree Robot Chicken. But same writers. I think the characters will be interesting, possibly compelling, maybe even funny. Charlie Day's in there as well. Will Ferrell, of course, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But I, the, the craft makers, the creators of the film, I trust them to do the best they can with the material. Is it always going to be amazing? No. No. That won't happen. But I think it'll be at the very least competent. So that's what I trust. So please look forward to a possible browbeat impression of uh, keeping up with the Ricardos! Being the Ricardos. And, uh, being the Kardashians! Exactly. Fucking stupid. <laughs> it's, it's fine. This is, this is what catches attention. I, you, you're, you're conditioned. You're all in. I don't like it, but I can't change it, so I'm going to work with it. Well, and the unbearable weight of massive talent. A cash-strapped Nicolas Cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but is really an informant for the CIA since the billionaire fan is a drug kingpin and gets cast in a Tarantino movie. All right, we got a premise. I think this is going to be some version of uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Or just JCVD. But I imagine we've got a little more uh, focus happening here. You started off with Well, Chucks. What's up with Well? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't mean to keep uh, interfering here with you and everything. And uh, I finally took your advice for once. Good. And watched all seven Harry Potter films and just cast them aside uh, of anything from my past. And was like, I'm going to give it a shot. Were you successful in divorcing yourself from prior rhythm? Yeah, no, the first, I, I, I would say you said the first three films were a bore. Um, or no, you said that it gets good at the third film. Uh, it got good for me at the fourth film, um, right at towards oh. towards the end. Uh, but I, I went through it. They're, they're not bad. They're, they're pretty good. Uh, the adventures of some dipshit who was saved by love and the power of friendship uh, from another magical noseless Ray Fiennes. Uh, was it a, <laughs> was it a bad film? I quite enjoyed uh, most of it, but I. I, I How about this? L let me try and qualify what you're saying by suggesting the perspective lens of yeah. not just the audience, but the story being told, because we are conditioned through tone and storytelling to hear things like, "Oh yeah, the magical savior boy whose parents uh, died tragically fighting off Voldemort and he's got inheritance of great magical power and ability." That's one way to look at it. I mean, you say orphan and you got the what was it? The Weasley, not the Weasleys. Doesn't matter. His host family that are all awful to him. Yeah, it's his uncle. Kid. Sure. I mean, it's played for laughs only because we're not supposed to stop and think about how awful that is to the child's psyche. Just the unwanted ward of the state, that kind of thing. 
and he's whisked off on a magical journey across the land because there's fucking nothing here for me. And he goes to a school of wizards, which is actually a, a snake pit of ambitions because if you think about it, the, the wizard school is staffed by adults who are all vying for power and place within the society of theirs. Doesn't matter. He makes magical friends and a pet owl. And the first few movies are still very much in the framework of a child's understanding of what's happening. Because how do you discuss... It's like this. It's like when I was in school as a child in Russia, and there was gym class. And as part of gym class, some of our exercises were things like marching and formation at the age of eight. And at one point in one of the rooms that we had, uh, like changing rooms, etc., I saw an AK, just a assault rifle, just stashed up by the side. Now you could argue that's a Russian meme. But there's a little bit of a context where the youth are being raised to do all kinds of things, learn history, culture, mathematics, uh, reading a map, rations, and squad formations. Meaning, in parentheses, some of you may be called upon to go do war shit. You don't know what that means yet, so we're just going to teach you how to hold, aim, and shoot. That part didn't happen, but I imagine <laughs> there's probably a senior-level gunnery class somewhere in that building. Just saying. So with Harry Potter... You have magical spells, some of which are disabling or even lethal. Which is part of the curriculum we will teach you that these are kill spells. And now that we've taught you, if any of you fuckers are found using this magic, you are in trouble. But what are you going to do? Just omit the fact that they exist? That's an adult's perspective. From a kid's perspective, ah, oh, gee whiz, the evil kids might do some evil stuff. We've got happy spells, like uh, Mute and chemically sterilize, and forever nightmares. Those aren't hurtful at all. <laughs> the point being, as the films continue, and yes, the audience matures a little bit, it becomes a teenager's like edgy perspective a little bit, because it's all about who's, who likes who, and who's in a relationship, and who touched hands or penises once. Yeah, and but we gradually... Go ahead. They, no, they, they did, like the last three films, it was super, super heavy, and the who's banging who, and why that... Why Why isn't this person talking to this person and I feel butthurt? And I'm just like, God, they're focusing a little bit too much on the relationships here. It really shouldn't matter. Should but more... they knew their audience because Twilight yeah. was also happening. That is but true. if you're an adult, which you, you kind of are, one, you can look at the periphery, at the edge of the frame, and then see the adult stuff. It was real important. Because loyalty is a big thing. It was real important that Dumbledore and Snape had that thing happen. Oh my God. Who could have seen it coming? And then you gradually get the unveiling of, oh, Snape might not actually be an evil asshole. It may just be that this is a lifetime friend of someone who's involved in uh, hierarchical circles who has an obligation. He basically has to be a revolver ocelot, and it's going to take a great deal of burden on this person, but he believes it's worth doing. And so he's going to go through all the motions to prevent a bigger disaster from happening, because are you fucking kidding me? The magic antichrist is back in this world? This is a problem. And we have to contain it before it gets worse. By the way, his evil cabal of cronies are also fucking shit up, and the muggles are about to discover we exist. Our world may collapse. I'm not talking about the magical way, I'm talking about the mundane way. So that exists outside the teenage drama. And I bring this up because now, uh, years later, we're getting a film. It's, it's the follow-up to the magical beasts and where to find them. That's not the important part. The important part is that now we're going to get a more or less prestige drama, quote, adult-toned, 
when Dumbledore was young and stuff was happening sort of film with adventure elements. But now we're going to be dealing with motivations, reasonings, value systems, and possibly serious consequences. Probably not. Probably very lightweight. This isn't a boardwalk empire or anything. But given that particular arc, Chucks, try take it back from not, not the specific events. Don't worry about that. But movie one to movie four to movie seven, did you see changes in the storytelling, not just because of tone, but because of flow, what the movies emphasized, focused on, and how much of the persistent magical fairy dust element remained while the world was deepened and expanded? Yeah, you could see it started picking up more adult tones once book four hit. Uh, book one through three was really trying to explain the magical magical world of, uh, I guess, magical UK because it, everybody's like, it's Hogwarts. Not everything's Hogwarts. It's it's the fucking Hogwarts is the school. Um, but I, I get the point. You could see that it's real childish. Like, here's all the magic and everything and uh, this boy's magical adventure and him learning how to do spells and potions and then by book four, it was more along the lines of Hey, uh, this guy's coming back potentially. He just killed uh, Twitard, uh, guy from Twitard. I can't remember his that's, name. That's really unkind, <laughs> honestly. Pat, Pattinson deserves more respect than that. He does. Yes, he, it was trendy to hit in the guy, and they started watching films where he's actually allowed to be an actor and not be just a fucking set of pants. And I thought, oh wow, we just our perception is just fucking distorted. This is not good. No, he's actually a really good actor. I, I, I just I, I couldn't remember his name, so I remember he was in Twitard. I, I mean, Patrick. He got, Oh my gosh, he was so hot! Did you say Patrick Diggory? Uh, the character he was portraying, I believe, was named Cedric Diggory. Yes. The actor's name is Robert Pattinson. Ah, yes. That, thank you. That is that is correct on both of those. Uh, he I, actually... mean, I, I even give him respect for him being attached to the Batman film coming up, right? And he the is. studio's saying, you got to work out super hard and buff up. And he goes, no. I don't, I'm not going to do that. No, but you got to like, No. I'm not going to do that. You'd stop being an idiot. Fine. Fine. We'll do the thing where you wear a muscle suit. But but you got to... No. no. Any I... kind of pushback, not because you're an asshole, but because you just don't want to conform to studio expectations. I'm, I, I like that. No, I, I want to see how it turns out. I want to see Colin Farrell as a as the penguin. <laughs> yeah. I want to see... I like, I like the Fury Road vibes, for sure, based on the trailer. But oh, yeah. we'll see. I, I, my investment in Batman as a character is the lowest it has ever been. All formatted, Norse pantheon by way of colorful outfits. Uh, I am interested in other things. Uh, I am too. I, I, want, <clears throat> I want to see what's coming out this year, but uh, I would have to say Batman is not on the top of my list. But I, I am intrigued. I may actually go to the theaters to see that. But to uh, to, to get back to what you asked me about, uh, I, yes, I could tell there's a there's a heavier, more adult, more middle teen esque to adult themes. Once as they age, and then later on, you get into the films, uh, which I greatly appreciate. Um, I don't quite understand some of the like, somewhat some what some of the characters did. I just sat there and shook my head. But I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but I also can understand it for plot convenience. That's why it was done that way. But that was just me. We, we cheekily see references to, let's call them living burdens in Hogwarts. The idea that to some capacity ghosts are real and a deceased student haunts the bathrooms. That's an uncomfortable idea, but it's played for laughs. 
because Harry Potter is just fucked enough in the head to engage that without fear or trepidation. And I, I honestly believe that although I might raise my children a little bit differently, there is a place for comfort watching where you don't question so hard. You just you permeate, you see what's in front of you, you feel nice and cozy because there's stonework and sweaters and magic wands and fuzzy socks. But supposing this could be handled well, and you could have a 20-film arc of Harry Potter, because you're almost halfway there anyway. Chucks, how do you feel... Would the series benefit from an inclusion of elements that are already there but not being emphasized, such as mental health, loneliness, psychoconditioning, compulsions, anxieties, addictions, predations, trauma... Do those belong in that discussion? Yeah. They're there, but they're being cheekily skirted aside. Yes, I think it would. If you want to talk about real teen problems and how shit works and that, I would only assume that uh, there is probably very real situations like that going on at Hogwarts. So I would love to have seen it in there. Uh, I would have probably, you know, instead of just being like, oh, everybody's just being attacked. I'm pretty sure someone got homesick and committed magical suicide somehow are, are we not going to talk about the faculty having sex with underage kids i don't know who, no this I, is a magical school i don't know who's banging I, professor mcgonagall so i think it's i think it's a community college dude I, I think people are as shitty as they ever are now you just added magic oh yeah definitely there there's a spread of chlamydia going around on the upperclassmen well, up there you think somebody's not abusing the memory lapse spell get the fuck out of here <laughs> never happened girl I know it's dark. I know, I know. But the idea is we're supposed to have magic escapism and it only works when you forget that people are people. <laughs> we just talked about this. Oh, yeah, no. I think it's not... I would have loved to see more adult themes and I would love to have them come back and have something else go on at Hogwarts, but who who knows? Uh, everybody's pissed off at J.K. Rowling right now that even so much as the world... Cup of Quidditch and the college Quidditch is now trying to trying to change the name of the sport that they're playing because of it. So, so that's petty politics. It doesn't change anything really. Yeah, I know. It's you're still right. you're still riding around on you know broomsticks, throwing the freaking foam balls. Let's do Harry Potter, but it's directed by David Lynch. Oh dear God! Our um, magical place. You're not gonna like it. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to see it if it was Cronenberg too. Yeah. Like similarly, heavy themes. I don't know why we're lingering on this landscape. Why, why is the shot just Hagrid on a dusky morning, just sitting, looking exhausted off into the mists in the lower hills? Uh, <laughs> it's been seventy seconds. Why is the shot still holding? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna change know. it. No, no. Okay, we're gonna just sit here. Yep, just gonna keep sitting well, here. What? You don't get it. You don't understand. Okay, well, just quit watching now. This seven-hour cut is not for you. Oh, dear God. I, it looks like I can also now watch the Fat and the Furious films on HBO Max. Yeah, man. Uh, now, you paraphrased what I said in Harry Potter and Fast and Furious. What I said was by the time Gary Oldman arrives in Harry Potter, the tone has changed, which you identified as the fourth film. It's the third film. Uh, Professor Slughorn is a couch. Well, actually, maybe he's an old man who doesn't want to get murdered. When it comes to Fast and Furious, I also thoroughly encourage that you watch it, but I will remind you, I believe the pivotal film that almost gets to the tone, but it changes from what it was, is film number four. Five is where it really kicks off. 
five is where the adventure series is reborn, in my estimation. The first two are watchable, but it's full of dude bro smug. And it's all about the cars and the thefts, because we're stealing DVDs. The third film is amusing as a crime drama in Japan. Westerner in Japan, drifting is hard. Ha ha. The fourth film is, we're now smuggling drugs across the Mexican border. Okay. Underground tunnels. Cartels. Interesting. I miss Desperado as well. And then we arrive at Dwayne The Rock Johnson meeting the cast. And now we're in exotic locations. We're globe-fuck-trotting. More so than before. So five to eight, plus Hobbs and Shaw, is the realm that I think the series pays off the heaviest. So, uh, I guess Fast and Furious, the 2009 film, uh, I didn't know there was a prequel also to the Tokyo Drift, or Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, I guess the Spanish name for the Fast and Furious films are Los Bandoleros. Yeah. I did not know that. Does it translate to the same bandits? The bandits compared to the Fast and the Furious? Didn't know. I get it. I guess because that's the way, like you said, the films went in that direction. You know, sure. I would love to, to see how much the movie changes in uh, Spanish than it does in English. Like this has got nothing to do with anything. But if you if you want to do the homework, sure. <clears throat> yeah, I would, I would love to do the homework. I'm not going to. Um. You got time. <laughs> I do. Well, I only have uh, today is Tuesday. I ha- I'm done with quarantine on Thursday, so I could potentially get all these in by Thursday. Yeah, you gotta you gotta wait two weeks to go back to work to give them two weeks notice. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: there was a prequel to Too Fast Too Furious called the Turbo Charge. The Turbo Charge Prelude for Too Fast Too Furious. Didn't know that was a thing. I uh, is it a, is it a short film? I don't. I'm not aware of this existence. I, I, like I didn't either. I it pulled up. I just happened to be. Well, talk me through what I'm not looking at. Use your words to paint a picture. Uh, all it all it could show because I looked up Fast and the Furious films because we were talking about Harry Potter and I wanted to see about you know same series really. Yeah, essentially magical cars driving down streets really fast. Dude, a team of Autobots <laughs> driven by the Treader Clan is fucking unbeatable. Uh, true. Uh, so all it is, it says the Fast and the Furious with Paul Walker standing with his arms crossed and a back black uh, black background, uh, slight colors, and just in the middle of his chest it says turbocharged. So I clicked on it. Uh, the turbocharged prelude for Too Fast, Too Furious is a 2003 American short film directed by Philip G. Atwell, produced by uh, somebody else. It just stars Paul Walker. That's all I got so far. I did not know it existed. Uh, it is, it's, a, it's a promo piece. Yeah, I'm assuming it was. Yeah, I I, I gotta have to watch these now because you're the uh, you, you keep hyping them up to me, and I'm gonna have to take the same look at them. And then Jason Statham happened, and you think to yourself, "What the? Yes, let's go." Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt. He's a later addition, but he does happen. Uh, it's Charlie. I, I, I continue to say. I continued to say that it becomes off-brand Avengers. People defied that and said, no, because they feel emotionally compromised to comparing something that's publicly lame with something that's publicly popular. But you let me know when physics exits the scene. You let me know. You'll see it. Uh, and you, you think it's then? Then you watch something else later on? You think to yourself, okay, gotcha. No, this is just pure fun. This is just for funsies. When they go to space, I'm pretty sure no. that's... No, before. Oh, I know. Just 
I would like to hear your account of the events as they proceed because I, I believe if you're able to achieve what you did with Harry Potter, you'll be able to project onto this and then watch it with a different set of lenses. Uh, I'm definitely going here, here. Here's what I'll do for you. So each week I will come back and I will tell you, I'll start at four because I've seen one through three. Because I've seen. No. no. Do the gamut. I'll go, go one through nine. By the time I'm done, hard. by the time yeah. I'm done, 10 will be out. Unless you watch one every couple days, then you get to the good ones, then you should binge them. That's potential. Yeah, I could. I because could see I, that. I, I'm telling you right now, one and two, they're watchable. Yeah. And then three is kind of fun. And then it begins to pick up. You can skip them, but I think the refresher would be satisfying. So please look forward to Nutchuck's reviews, The Fast Saga. <laughs> fast and Better furious. love story than Twilight. It is. Fast, fast and the Furious 1. Cars go fast, vroom, vroom. Paul Walker is given directions by Buffalo Bill to go stop the Toretto clan from stealing from semi-trucks. Well, I, I think Fast and the Furious 1 is, oh god, they're robbing semi-trucks. <laughs> On the go. That's not easy to do. Nope. But I, I do love the fact that uh, it is Buffalo Bill giving him directions. Because <laughs> all I can think of every time I hear him giving him directions is him just answering. They were like, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Like, oh, yes, uh, oh. Classic reference to Silence of the Lambs, which has nothing to do with the tone of the film. But hey, it's a memorable scene. Something is. about lotions and baskets. <laughs> I'd like to rewatch those as an adult because I remember liking them okay. But uh, Red Dragon made an impact. I'd like to see it again, of course, naturally, because Ray finds and Ed Norton. How can you lose? I'm trying to remember. Is it Ed Norton? Yeah, I believe so. Red Dragon? Hold on here. The Grimecast likes to discuss movies poorly structured. Yes, uh, it is Edward Norton and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, shit. And Anthony Hopkins, I mean, Ray Fiennes. It's no Ray Liotta, but it's good. Speaking of uh, uh, the Hannibal series, uh, Gary Oldman again popping up in there as a cut up face guy in the second one, Hannibal. But well, so you don't mean the TV series, you mean? No, no, no. What's the, the, the movies? Movie. Movies, yeah. Gotcha. Because I hear good things about Hannibal the show. Because uh, oh goodness, it's the thing is happening again. I think of the name, my brain dismisses it. But sharp faced man, uh, his his titular character. Yeah, I guess the show Swedish got canceled. Guy. I don't know. Mads Mikkelsen. That's Mickelson, absolutely. It's been happening more often lately. I guess I'm getting dementia again. I only only went three seasons? Wow. I thought it was a lot longer. Well, that's that's the thing. Shows are made to continue existing. Is there value in long-form storytelling? Yes, there is. I strongly prefer when the writers know the story they want to tell in the beginning, and it has an endpoint. So at some point, you say... We will create interim material. This is here to tell the span of events, and it's done. And if they say, it made a bunch of money, make more stuff, the writers preserve their integrity and say, we will now sell the rights to this. It's not, we're not involved anymore. Get in your writers. There's no more to tell. I know it's successful. We can write something else, but you want to bank on recognition of this thing that's here. It will not be as good. Because the reason it was good is we made the story. Squid Game Season 2 apparently probably will not be as good as season one. Uh, I Unfortunately, seen... also likely... I haven't seen it either, but like Arcane, 
it took time to create, write, and make, and that time was well spent. And now that it's successful, the content generation machine says, make more, squeeze up more pasta. And the creators can't do it at that pace. Maybe they'll work on it and eventually be inspired to make more. But that's not what Netflix is about. It wants engagement. It wants to get new subscribers and maybe keep some of them. You know? It's just, it, it's, it's counterposed in its goals. Precisely. Which is why mediocre shows that are built on twists and cliffhangers, they do well with Netflix because the point is keep watching. Don't worry about what you're watching, just fucking keep watching. I take issue with that. Hmm. Nutchucks, however, is a convert. He's like, yeah, man, it's awesome. I I think I'm actually going to be disappointed when I eventually watch Game of Thrones. Because that means that anything recently that a show did pretty well, it probably stole from Game of Thrones. Uh, most likely. Sorry, I was I was trying to remember the original, the first film starring Hannibal Lecter, uh, which was 1986's Manhunter, based off a dragon. <laughs> and Brian be- Cox, if you know who Brian Cox is. Uh, the name is familiar, but let me look up his face. Yeah, he plays Agnamim. Yes. Yeah, from uh, Troy. You know what I'm getting at. Say, say the say the, say the name. There you go. Thank you. Fuck. I don't know why I had such a hard time saying that. Uh, he played him in Troy and uh, Francis. Do- uh, wait, hold on. Uh, excuse me. Tom Noonan plays uh, Ray Fine's character of Francis Dollarhide. If you know Francis Noonan or Tom Noonan, excuse me, eh, I believe he was in Last Action Hero. Yes, he was. He played the Ripper. Also, he played Tom Noonan. Yep. I recently rewatched Last Action Hero. I think I mentioned last time. God, I love that movie. I actually watched it recently too. That's, can we gush about Last Action Hero? Because fuck the audience. Yeah, it's oh god. I watched it when I was on. Uh, I was working one night, and they put me out west. So I was like, well, I got nothing else going on. There won't be a call for the rest of the night. Last Man. Action Hero, it is. Did you watch it as a meme, or did you watch it as a sincere story? Uh, I watched it as a movie, and I was just like, I'm gonna watch this, and I remember how good it was. Danny DeVito as the cat. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Danny DeVito makes an appearance. I even I'm I'm curious about how many of the police references in the movie Police Station aren't random. I mean, yes, they've got a lot of vinyl wearing ladies, but I kind of wonder how much more cop lore am I missing out on, hot fuzz style. In that I appreciate what I'm seeing, but I'm not getting what it's pointing at. Because Robert Patrick walks out of the door real briefly, and Daniel Madigan, the character, goes, Jack, did you see that? Oh, I mean, yeah. just just how hard it hits home later in the movie when Jack Slater and Daniel Madigan get fired, dismissed from the police station, and then they drive out somewhere in an apartment next to a highway. And the kid asks, where are we? And Jack Slater says, home. And they walk through with one small cardboard box, walking into the bedroom. Jack Slater shoots a closet. And then a ninja out. falls out. Yeah, how'd you, how'd you know there was a guy in there? There's always a guy in there. And so he's got his leather jackets, his red shirts, his blue jeans, and his boots, and guns in the closet, and everything else is just bare. 
because the character doesn't live at home. The character's always on the road, visiting somewhere else, having adventures. And then he, it's supposed to be like this whiny spiel that he's talking about. But if you try to see as a human being, let's pretend, the character tells you, I just wanted to be a decent cop. And then I kept getting into these crazy adventures. And then I kept surviving. Like, this is, this is a man on the edge of losing control for a number of ways. And the kid reassures him, like, well, Jack, they're sequels. They gotta get harder. That, that's missing the point so brilliantly. It's, it's hard to express. Because, of course, the kid's like, wow, whiz-bang adventures! And then adult Harry Potter sitting on the other side of the room saying, you don't understand. I, I don't sleep anymore. Because the memories don't stop. And not just the dead son, which is, again, as a kid, you go, oh, yeah, his son died, of course. And there's an adult, you say, and, and he watched it happen. And that's never going to leave his head. That's going to fuck him up. He will probably die early because of that. I, I got to ask, uh, did you want to be a farmer? Because here's two acres. Here's a couple of acres. I did not understand that joke when I was young. I didn't English is my third language. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I got a kick out of it now. I couldn't stop laughing when I was watching it in the cop car. I was laughing my ass off hysterically. There's uh, when when uh, <laughs> when Benedict Charles Dance's character, who is just impeccable, when they invade the ex-wife's house, the goons are shown to miss past money. They're shown to slip, spill, and drop a gun as is passed to them. When they engage in fights in the house, they miss everything and sometimes shoot each other. Like, complete chuckle fucks, right? And you kind of see it, but you don't really call it out to yourself because they're written to be incompetent, if you will. So that when one of them rounds a corner and Arnie grabs his gun and says, don't quit your day job. Yeah, it's a one-liner. Yeah, it's a mildly funny pun-pun. But we're, as the audience, we're told, these guys are terrible as henchmen. And this is Arnie saying, you are terrible as a henchman. It's it's small stuff. It's it's a smart, stupid movie. Kid, who does the doctor treat? God, what? I don't remember. Patience? Oh, yeah, that's right. Patience. Look at the elbow of my jacket. What's it doing? <laughs> Wearing thin? Bingo. <laughs> I don't get it. Where are the ordinary, <laughs> everyday women? They don't exist because this is a movie. No, this is California. <laughs> Ah, oh, jeez, it's oh, it's man. it's so good. Why is it so good? Well, because it's it's postmodernist, but before the meme age, so it's completely trafficking within memes, and it's the movie where I can consistently refer to this over time. So I'm sorry if it sounds tiresome, but "Where's Dad?" is very much the tone of the film, and it's explained in a line briefly, which is the he died. She didn't expect to be a widow at a young age, and now she's stuck in New York with a kid trying her best to hold it together, and the kid is understandably distracted and disaffected and he doesn't want to go to school, so he keeps looking for father figures and action films, and Jack Slater is the biggest guy around, so he's just, he's compelled to be in the spiral, then they get robbed, and the robber's like, you have fucking nothing worth taking. This is stupid. You know, and in the theaters and the decline, but the kid made a friend with the older projectionist, because he's in movies all the time, and it's, it's sort of sweet, but everyone's on their way down while across the street there's a premiere of a shiny new thing that's happening, there's a lot of subtext going on. Because here, in this world, the bad guys can win. 
oh, the man. scene where where <laughs> you know, hopping on everywhere. I'm sorry, but I just love this fucking movie. Uh, no, Benedict walking down the street, just I- examining New York. And I mean, yeah, it's the LA New York thing. The LA is bright and sunny. New York is a dark, desolate shithole. I'm sure the commentary is accidental. Uh, he's walking down the street. He gets uh, solicited by a prostitute. And he doesn't take because he's just examining what's happening because Benedict is written to be a very smart person. And he hears a murder take place in an alley. And he discovers the man gets killed for his shoes, which is an interesting new value assessment. And then he walks up on the mechanic in the garage saying, excuse me, could you help me out? Yeah, what can I do for you? I'm trying to test the theory. Well, he just shoots the man dead. Walks out in the street, checks his watch. As the car passes by, he shoots the body a couple more times off screen because it's tasteful. Hello? Somebody! I've just murdered a man and I killed him on purpose. Nothing. I said I killed a man and I wish to confess. Someone from the window shouts down, Shut up down there! And then the guy just looks at the camera, straight at the camera, just has a shit-eating grin. It's just a realization. Oh, man, all the possibilities are open now. This is great. I've arrived. This is my heaven. Hmm. To be fair, the movie character never gets to confront actual crime, like organized crime in this world. But that sense of delight is a great reversal. Anyway, it's it's talking about exaggerations that movies portray as completely commonplace, and our perspective character of Daniel Madigan gets to see the fantasy reality and embrace it, because of course it's more awesome and heightened than it is here, but then it becomes too much for him as well. And then you get the inverse of being taken back to the real world and the character, the kid, whines and whines. This world stinks. And it's up to the fictional father figure, who is his protector, saying the world is what you make of it. And then when he's allowed to not be action man, uh, hey, you know, I like sensible values and down-to-earth existence, and I like classical music. And if I were allowed to remain here, I might totally hook up with your mom, because she seems like a really decent person. And I got an ex-wife that left me behind long ago. Because I'm a cop, and cop marriages don't fucking survive. See also Die Hard. No, that's speaking. Speaking of that time of the year, it is Christmas movie season. It is Christmas movie season. <laughs> Die Hard, the sequel to a movie no one remembers. <laughs> no, I think it's was it a book? I think it, it was a movie. It, it was a book series, but the originally it's called The Detective, and it stars Frank Sinatra. And they had to offer Sinatra the the original John McClane role before they were like, we're going to give it to Bruce Willis. Sure. But Bruce Willis was the fourth selection. They wanted like Tom Cruise and a couple other people, and they all turned it down because they all had other plans. And uh, I think it was Bruce Willis decided to step in because he was just got done with Moonlighting or something like that was a TV show he was on. Yeah. And then he, he did that uncomfortable to realize how many of your classic favorites, especially in the movie genre, or any genre really, are mostly situational accidents. Yeah. It happened the way it happened, and it could have been any number of different ways, and it would not have been like this. Might be better, probably worse. Could. That's a weird thought. Yeah. There's there's a lot of things that happen that way. and But in the end, it turned out for the best. Which means... The best course of action you can take is treasure the things you enjoy and try like hell to understand what about them works. As opposed to, oh, take whatever. Meh. That is death. That is the entropy of the mind. Eh, I watched 17 seasons of this fucking thing. It was pretty good, yeah. Now, 
<laughs> it's fun to have piecemeal entertainment. I don't recommend sitting down to binge your favorite comedy show one episode after the other for the next 10 hours. But sometimes it's nice to have a half an hour shard of time with characters that you have already been familiar, familiarized with. Take your favorite comedy show. Let's say Scrubs. Let's say people like Scrubs because I recently saw one of the popular characters from that show portray a non-comedic role in The Rock. Also, I knew that actor not from the show, but from the movie Nothing to Lose with Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins. And I should probably pick up his name at this point, but I'll remain evasive. It's curious to me to see that actor in non-comedic roles. John C. McGinley? Specifically because he is known for being a funny, angry doctor on Scrubs. Yeah, John C. Uh, McGinley. That's him. He yeah, played... McGinley. He's got a hero jaw. He does. He, he, he can play the Crimson Chin. You have no clue who that is, do you? I don't. I uh, don't. It's from a cartoon series that I watched with my kids. Ah, I see. He's got a voice acting career as well. What a guy. What a multi-talented, multifaceted individual. Damn, he's old. I thought he'd be younger than what he was. <laughs> so you're saying he ages well? Yeah, he does. I'll give him credit. He does age well. Whenever you have portrayals. I don't know. Movies that work for me a lot of the time. There are There's room for a lot of genres. You can tell a fantastical story with serious elements and have it be compelling. You can also just tell a very mundane story about a who cares situation that is highly compelling. But the question usually comes down to what the focus is. And uh, I guess the reflection of human nature within the decisions and conclusions that the characters make as, as they undergo trial. So you had mentioned Manhunter previously, which was a re- related film to the Hannibal property. Mm-hmm. Which which point I discovered that the director was Michael Mann, yep. which is a name I venerate. And just even looking at the known for, Heat isn't one of the four movies that's on here, which is a mistake. But I look at The Insider. He produced it. Oh, this is why. Producer not this. But he's involved with movies, including Last of the Mohicans. A lot of these are very understandable, grounded situations. But they're presented in ways that make us want to follow and study these characters. Collateral is a film that even Coinbeater really enjoyed back in the day. I don't know if you like that movie, Chucks. Collateral? Which one? Collateral. So Collateral is a hitman comes to town, rents a cab for the night, and proceeds to make his rounds offing his targets. Never seen it, but I, it's the it, one with uh, Tom Cruise. It is the one with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, and it was I think it is Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, it's a fairly small cast. Mark Ruffalo is in there. Uh, Javier Bardem is in there when he was younger. Collateral is very much worth watching because it is a nightmare situation for one of the characters, and then just a day <clears> at work for another one of the characters. And there's a tension bandwidth as... Everyone in the film realizes what's happening, except for the hitman, because of course the hitman also, they know what their plan is, and they don't have to talk about it. They're just going about the actions, but then everyone else is putting it together. Jason Statham is in that movie for about 30 seconds, in the beginning for no reason. It's great. Uh, Collateral, thoroughly recommended, and it gave me the gift, because Michael Mann likes to put in pieces of certain songs in movies, weirdly enough, at key scenes, but Shadow on the Sun. by the late great Chris Cornell is also in there. And that's one that sticks with me because it's very much a song about PTSD and trauma. Oh, really? So, of course, I'm all over that shit. Yeah, Shadow in the Sun is... I don't know if you'll like it. 
but I very much like it. And it builds the right amount of intensity. Which, I mean, if you be super reductive, it just boils down to that one uncle that you have that just loses his shit at almost every family gathering. And then the family justifiably is just upset at the uncle. That's because they never went through what he went through. So it's that kind of rumination. Oh. Well, I, 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 I like it. I didn't know if you knew this, but Heat, I guess, originally was a show that he tried pitching and it didn't go through. And so he rewrote the script and turned it into Heat. But it was like a TV series that he did. Like it had a pilot episode and that was it. I can't believe it. I didn't know that. I could see it stretching on as a series, but having a slightly overlong film that two and a half hours is preferable because then it's it's a big picture and basically has three action scenes, one big one that people know it, have, have been, it transformed the heist film landscape ever since. I guess more producer credits than writer credits. As with every Grimecast, we retreat to IMDb to discuss things. But uh, hey, if anybody's picking up any watch suggestions from this, uh, welcome to leave your impressions and tell me why uh, why I'm wrong. Why Browbeat is a pretentious idiot. Uh, did he he did direct Public Enemy? Have you seen Public Enemy? Singular or plural? Public Enemies. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I did, but it has not remained with me as one of my favorites. I, I like the film. Don't get me wrong. It's not like a favorite, but I, it wasn't a bad film. I, I thought it was pretty good. It was uh, a pr- good interpretation of how John Dillinger's last few months alive actually went. But you're more compelled by the event. Yeah, I, I knew about the event. It's the same thing like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was more excited about the event because I knew what was going on. Well, see, that's that's an interesting distinction because oftentimes I don't go in into movies seeking a portrayal of a thing that happened concretely, like a historic event. Oftentimes, I come into a movie by reputation that this is a well-made film, and then you come out of the woodwork, or some others do, to inform me, hey, this is based on real events. And that's always confusing to me, because movies take many opportunities to lie to you about the nature of real events. All they have to say is, based on real events, and then stretch that shit as far as they want to. So, Having the appeal of the situation being, this was true, is already a misunderstanding. It's already a lie, and you're buying into it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, is it possible that the events of, um, not Last Temptation, but The Passion of the Christ, is it possible that's how it went down? It's possible. I don't think we have a lot of key witnesses to speak on the specific minutiae of what happened. But it's an elaborately told story that relates to the events at some point, because a guy was executed once. And he was of interest to the state, because he was maybe a cult leader. Hard to say, but he is remembered. But I'm here for the movie portrayal experience. Oh, don't get me wrong, that's what I was saying. I I like that they took an event and did their own thing with it. I'm not here for having them be like, down to the T spot on because if i wanted that i could watch a damn documentary i want to see what they could do with it that's why i liked once upon a time in hollywood i think that's one of tarantino's best i enjoyed it quite a bit right and so i like what he did with the the uh tate uh tate murders tate blanca murders and uh i liked what uh michael mann did with uh with public enemies sure i just want to 
highlight that you take every opportunity you can to point out, hey, by the way, this is like a real thing. So yes. that, that carries weight with you. That is a compelling factor. This represents a thing that happened in history. You like history. Enjoyment is increased. Yeah, Whereas well. heat could have been about any old situation in Los Angeles, and the events are believable. But because it's not, it's not specific, it doesn't stick quite as hard. I, it, yes, I, I wanted, no, no, no. I wanted Tom Hardy portraying a real person to go, oh shit, it's this. The that was also a good movie. I'm trying to remember the hell that movie's called again. God damn it! That, this summer, Giovanni Ribisi is Hitler. <laughs> uh, what is? God damn it! I got to watch that. Uh, the German film. It's the last days of Hitler when he's stuck in the bunker. Days, I can't. Downfall. Downfall. I hear. Uh, that, I hear that's good. I hear it's good as well. I watched the pieces of it, and I really felt affected by the pressure. But again, I did not pursue the human element at that time. I I am trying to figure out. Did Michael Mann produce, or he didn't direct the Aviator? Did he? That's a Scorsese Man. film. It sure feels like one. Well, because it has Michael Mann movies, and it has Aviator. He produced, he produced it, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, what about Hancock? He didn't direct that, did he? That must well, produce. it's also a curious distinction that we're not qualified to really discuss with any sort of scholastic arrangement. But there are talented filmmakers that either sometimes know their limitations or are asked to perform in different roles and they have varied successes because there are some directors that are way better as producers. They say, don't give me the director credit, don't give me the complete control, but I'll help you with this, this, and this. And others always buy for attention and say, I want to do this. Or there's people who direct five movies but write 30 of them. It's, I'm very curious about the dynamics of those systems because I don't know how aware they are of where their strengths truly lie. They might be convinced that there is... Like the most vain directors will talk about their work and usually be less successful. Usually. Nolan being the exception. Nolan and Villeneuve are very confident about their abilities. And they have good products to show for it, but there's a tone of, yes, I am the shit and I know it. But there's way more hack directors that talk about their amazing art. And if people know about their work, they know about their work based on scuttlebutt reputation, not so much actual quality. I hate that. I hate to switch topics here. What was the Russell Crowe film where he plays? It's also based on true uh, a real person, but he's a mathematician. But he also believes that the government is following him, and he has uh, multiple. Yeah, yeah that, that was a uh, man with the iron fists. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I forgot about uh, the guy from uh, the Wu Tang Clan punching him in the jaw with his, you know, later on in the films. You were thinking of a beautiful mind. Thank you. Uh, I've only well, seen bits well, and pieces is- of that. What were you saying? Paul Bettany is in that one as well. Is he? Yeah. Could Prominently. I, okay. The only other Paul Bettany films I know are Priest and the one where he plays Gabriel, I think, and he comes back to protect the girl who's having the baby. Legion. Legion, thank you. Paul Bettany is an actor I've enjoyed ever since I saw his ass on uh, Night's Tale. Uh, I actually started watching that again, too, and then stopped because I... Uh, was going to bed. 
Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun, relaxing watch because don't think about it too hard. Did he do powder? If you know what powder Back to the topic, we go. Say what? Powder. Actually, no, Paul Bedney. I don't see it all here. I thought he played powder. Maybe at some point we'll have a rubric for these things, but right now, what you're getting is wherever our minds take us. Paul oh. Bettany, famously in Han Solo, a Star Wars story. No, no, no. It's Sean Flannery. Who is Sean Flannery? Sean Patrick. S E A N. Oh, he played in Boondock Saints. He was the the other guy, not Norman Reedus. Uh huh. He played Powder. So he's in. I'm losing it here. Okay, so. Sean Patrick Flannery played in Boondock Saints. He plays the other brother that okay. isn't Norman Reedus. I have very limited respect for Boondock Saints, but keep talking. Okay, so he is the one who plays Powder in the movie Powder, um, which is about an albino kid uh, who has superpowers. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I thought it was uh, Paul Bettany. I see. Yeah. No, Paul Bettany is a better actor he is he uh he does wandavision i was waiting for you to be like shut your whore mouth if you gotta pull from somewhere popular why not he uh, as i discussed with somebody else recently the character arc of paul bettany and his involvement with the mcu is truly remarkable first gaining a voice then gaining a face then losing his essence then becoming a half-remembered nightmare through the mirror of regret the heart of me. What the hell is that? See Helena, Helena Bellum, Bedham Carter, whatever the hell her name is. Bonham. Bonham. Yeah, Bonham. Bonham. Helena Bonham Carter. It's her, Johnny Depp, and uh... Olivia Williams. It's happening again, man. That one creative guy, who everyone says you make cool weird shit, and he says I'm autistic. That's how it happens for me. Who? What? Are we talking about the same movie? Well, you said Helena Bottom Carter. Are you talking about I, Tim I, I, Burton? Tim Burton, yes. Her, her ex-husband? Yeah. I, I think they were a, a thruple. I think... I think, uh, <laughs> I think Jack Sparrow goes a lot of ways. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, God. That's not the important part, but I think it's a component. <laughs> uh, anytime I think of Jack Sparrow, all I can think of is the uh, robot chicken sketch. Where the uh, hu- the wife asked the husband to play real, uh, you gotta you gotta be like real, uh, real pirate, r- yes. real pirate. I, oh, I got chlamydia, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I got puff penis coming. <laughs> like, oh my god, that is this terrible. Is role play I wanted. <laughs> uh, I like that Paul's filmography isn't bloated. He only has fifty two acting credits, so he he applies himself sparingly, and that's not a bad thing. Well, he was in a show called Sharp. I don't know what the hell Sharp is. Uh, following um, the adventures of Richard Sharp, a fictional British soldier in the Napoleonic Wars. It went on for many, many years. 1993 to 2008. Wow, damn. I don't know how to really express this well. Maybe there are things in your life, our lives, that are less apparent, they become more apparent, maybe fade out again. It's going to come back to humanity, I promise you. We say something very offhandedly, like the Napoleonic Wars. 
we just say that. And the resolution is, yeah, some shit happened in Europe. They had really cool hats. <laughs> and at some point, that was the thing happening for everyone in that region and the four regions away. That was the news. Currently, at the end of the year 2021, today being 12-21-2021, I like that date a lot, uh, pandemic. It's kind of the thing that's happening. And it's happening to varying degrees. It doesn't exist in Georgia or Russia. It's been banned there, apparently. The joke here is that at some point, someone will equally simply dismiss it and just go, yeah, fucking the pandemic, whoever, who cares? And that will indicate how much you're paying attention to what's happening and how much you care. I am increasingly interested in many of the concepts who were just gently taught. Okay, so Jesus was born in the year one, and then... Um, the Bronze Age happened, which is not true. And then um, we found dinosaur bones and made fissile fuels. So then China invented firecrackers. And then uh, Napoleon invaded Sweden in the World War II. And then the Bush administration. Also racism somewhere in the middle there. Uh, you you just named American education at its finest, sir. Well, I understand it, but it's... Yes, you can live that way. You can live very happily, never questioning anything what I just said, and go, yeah, sure, it makes sense. Now, in the next season of Spider-Man, <laughs> or, if you have the time, attention, interest, and capacity, try and figure out what actually was happening. Because this relates to the, the, the offhand phrase, did you know that people were capable of making good stuff before you were around? The entire culture, the entire swath, the audacity of certain people, who we now say, and then so-and-so went on to become a global power. I don't think it was as apparent to them at that time as to what the results were. But it's a little bit like, um, well, I forget the, uh, it was the Dark Knight, actually. <laughs> they used a throwaway phrase. Yeah, the, the, last, the last man who was be given that much power uh, was named Caesar, and he never gave it back. Because it's that one moment where somebody who's perceptive and is, stands on a precipice of opportunity thinks, oh, if I do this... Then nobody can stop me. And then their their mental skills do a little bit of check and they go, there's no reason not to do this. Just do this. But this will fuck everyone. Exactly. You will get to fuck everyone. Do this. Never look back. Never say you're sorry. Because you get to and nobody else living does. So if you do get something like monarchs or emperors to share a room together in a big celebration or a banquet hall or whatever... There's that look they can give one another, which basically reads, I can't believe this is happening. This shit is the coolest. I don't care where it ends up. I get to spend my life doing this. I may die through betrayal or poison, but damn, dude. I get to do this and not go pound millet fields. So, when you say, yeah, Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, Napoleon sort of disrupted the entire flow of governance uh, in his region of the world. For about almost 20 years, yeah. 20 years! 20 years! By year three! I think this man would have understood that he's living in a possible dream. At that point, you're allowed to huff your own farts. Because the world now says your name with recognition and reverence. You have become a living meme. Own it. That's great. That's terrific. Joe Rogan hopes to be that influential one day. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, not to change topics here slightly, you mentioned Spider-Man. Um, yeah. And you're like, oh, in this season of Spider-Man. But uh, I was watching a video, and uh, I, I got was watch. I was watching two videos actually. It was about the Spider-Verse comic series, um, 
and what happens there. And they mentioned that there is, there's a mech Spider-Man in the Japanese Spider-Man uh, series. Uh, they create a mech Spider-Man and someone created a video said this shit's fucking canon in Spider-Man. And it's a giant fucking, it's the episode from the Spider-Man Japanese series of the mech Spider-Man walking through. And it made me laugh because uh, like you said, in this season of Spider-Man shit just goes ape shit and no one really understands what the fuck's going on. But that shit's fucking canon, and that's a real thing in the Spider-Man verse. <clears throat> if you're bringing up canon, yep. I'm going to think back to a moment where I was sitting around our tabletop group as they were filtering in and arriving. We had a conversation about religious texts, because that just happens sometimes, on accident, when I speak. And then one of them turned to me and said, did you just fucking use apocryphal correctly in a sentence? And I said, yeah, I did. Apocrypha is the ultimate defense against canon. Because this discussion has existed in many different mediums. Star Wars is one of the favorite ones, because Disney acquired rights to Star Wars, which has had, at the time of acquisition, roughly oh, 35 years of official and fan works attached to it. And then it took that entire jungle of Star Wars stuff and trimmed it down to what it thought it needed as a platform to propel the, the property onwards to the audiences and declared the vast majority of extended lore as apocryphal. As in, yeah, it was canon once, it's not canon anymore. So my question is, what next thresholds do we need where we can take a fairly funny meme gag about Spider-Man you said mech. Uh, I think you should have said a, a Zord or a Voltron. Well, you like, can call it one. Big ass robot, because mech's eh, nebulous. But yes, there's there's a there's a big old Spider-Man. You can say that's canon, and that works. That what you're saying is true. But then we're laughing about it cheekily now. Will we still be laughing a month from now, where somebody digs up furry porn that is provably legally canon? and Spider-Man, and then unleashes that information onto the consumer sphere, where they will now get to bastardize and slap their favorite tags and skins over everything, and suddenly the perception begins to change of, wait, so is Spider-Man just smut? Has this been a sex thing all along? Yes. Distorting the focus. Now, is it funny as a gag? Sure, right now. But that is irrespective of consequence, because consequence attention will flare up, the engagement algorithms will push more of this to the surface, opportunistic merchandisers will press this out into existence, and then somehow, I mean, I don't want to be like, well, uh, reefer madness here, but your kids are walking around with sex tools that look like Spider-Man because it's a meme. And to them, it's completely unrelated. It's just it's what's happening now on the internet, so who cares? There's nothing malicious about it. But you look from left to right, and you go from, oh, Spider-Man McCannon, why are my children carrying vibrators everywhere as collectibles that are just hanging off their backpacks? What the fuck happened? It's not evil to them. It's just, it's bizarre to us. And what this highlights is nonsense that still holds up based on a logical link of the most extraneous pieces that has somehow made its way into the hands of people because they bought it, because they want it. And the business machine doesn't have any moral qualms about this. They just go, well, if you buy it, I'll make it. Sure, here you go, at a premium. 
that's and that's just one that's just one example it's not it's not necessarily like even uncomfortable it's just we have missed some logical steps here i would be very cautious about celebrating oh spider-man mech sure do you want to pursue that somewhere because you know you won't like where it goes Oh no, no, no one's gonna like where it goes, but it's just canon. You, you, there's never been a a series written on it. They don't, they don't have a a whole dedicated series based on uh, written in the comic verse to sure. to it. But yes, it it is there somewhere in the faraway lands of Araby. There's a very pretty building, and inside this very pretty building, there's a black cubic stone that people go visit a lot. It seems really important. And nobody knows how or why, but it's really important. And the price for keeping that stone and that building intact is actual human lives because of differing ideas. I find that a little worrisome. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, let me... Uh, uh Yeah. Actually, it's not in a building. I apologize. It's not a big... Field, uh, type in K A A B A into your search. K A A B A? Yep. Kaba? Place of yeah. worship? Uh huh. Oh, yeah, you're talking about with the giant meteorite where uh, during Mecca they have to go and touch their hands on the meteorite that came crashing down from the sky, but that was somehow holy. Came from God. Yep. And this here is incontrovertible proof. That God exists, he's on our side, and fuck all them other people. Pretend, through a vast stretch, that that is a Spider-Man mech standing in the middle. All right. It's canon. It's canon. Fuck all them other people. Either you're with us, or we fire up the mech. <laughs> I know it's a logical stretch, uh, but they're related. They are. I get what you're getting at. It's it's still funny though, just to take that like, like just a, a bunch of Muslims sitting there. All right, guys, either you're with us or uh, Spider-Man here starts fucking people up. Your choice. Pick and choose, motherfuckers. Who's yeah. going down? And then over over the hill comes the Jesus King Kong ape. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we have Gamera fights. It's real fun until the, the devastation begins. Indeed. But I mean, to be fair, if, if in a terrible world that shouldn't exist, but it's good for a joke, if intense belief could manifest holy beasts, uh, those wars would get very entertaining. Oh yeah. We need to get more believers so they can chant together to power up our holy beast. That's how these. And then go, then go fight the other holy beast because if if you're defeated, then all of your people will come to us. I guess that's how that works. That, that's how the stupid. That's how the Crusades worked, right? Uh, to our understanding of faraway events, sure. If Assassin's Creed is a documentary. That's how the Crusades worked. It's not a documentary. I was lied to by my teacher. Well, it's it's um, it's it's based on real events. Uh, created I by think... a bunch of multi-ethnic and cultural believing people. Whatever that yeah. damn intro it, says it, every time you have to for fifteen minutes. It's the coexist sticker, uh, which is as banal and divisive as anything, because uh, as part of the pandering conversation, if you can somehow get a collective of people to coexist together, like an Amazon warehouse, 
that have variously pronounced uniforms according to their religious faiths and beliefs, uh, you pulled off a minor miracle. Now, please do not bring sexuality into this mix, or else everything will collapse. As well as any other genetic permutations that are signs that your gods are displeased with you. I had a really sad memory recently from a coworker that I think I don't think you get to meet. Once upon a time, at a non-specific company in which we worked, there was a service crew brought in to service display appliances, wipe things down. And this crew was uh, a supervised group of individuals of a greatly diminished mental capacity. I believe frequently they're referred to as the Downs crew. This was not uniformly true, but there was one. One particular individual who had their very special cart and very special routine and a vest who was, unfortunately, ironically, or possibly lovingly named Darwin. That person did have Downs. And that person had a specific group of people that they were kin to and would approach sometimes make gestures at with their slack face and occasionally coo for hugs and such. But clearly the organization treated these people as service staff. They go in, do their job, don't get in their way, don't talk to them, don't engage them. Their handlers will do that. Which sure sounds like not people. And yes, these are people of greatly diminished capacity. They can't live unsupervised, basically. So they have these handlers that, that contain them and give them a purpose and exercise as well as whatever pay is negotiated. But I just remember a little bit this person, Darwin, and how I was younger and less aware and less understanding, and I balked at the notion, well, why does this exist? Why, why is this thought to survive? It can't do anything. We should probably just pitch it in the gutter, toss it away. And of course, only recently, last couple of years, as I'm truly opening up my inner perception and weighing things down, I was utterly dismissive of that person's scope of experience, values, and very real, valid emotional reactions. And I felt deeply ashamed, though I understood that I just didn't have the groundwork to think through or feel through the situation. Now, I can regret that I didn't offer them the empathy or the care that others had, and I thought it was silly that the more sensitive and caring individuals would give hugs and high-fives and general regard to Darwin. But I also project that onto a different tier of awareness, which is regular folk. Because Darwin lived in a way that was apparent to Darwin. And we it's hard for us to tell to say what the parameters of that perception and existence are. Uh, Ralphie May, who's dead, had a joke that he was happy for the special people because it took so little to please them. Scooby-Doo lunchbox with a, with a banana sticker? It's the happiest of days. It takes us cable programming and our favorite takeout food, etc., etc., to be happy, whereas folks like the simple people are very easy to please. Now, had Darwin been a person that was threatening, as in their limited understanding, their monkey brain turned them aggressive, and due to firm notions, strong beliefs, however misperceptive they are, they caused harm to others. Suddenly, we have to cut out the kind stuff. We have to disarm Darwin. We have to make sure that they're not a threat to anyone. And then maybe dig around to see what we can change or just throw them in the ditch. The reason I bring this up, tying this back 
to the Spider-Man Ultramech sitting in the Holy Square where people with similar hats believe real strongly that this mech is sent by a divine being and then we have to convert or pacify everyone else to unleash its awesome destructive power, it's not that dissimilar from the realm of Darwin's existence. They live as is apparent to them. They do not want to be questioned. And they want to propagate their belief path. And so long as they don't hurt nobody, we can leave it alone. But what if they get this notion? You know what? I can make everyone else be like me. Well, then we got trouble. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, Chucks. It's just, it's a suggestion for perspective that both sides can look at each other and glean some kind of understanding so that we can de-escalate any pending conflicts and maybe find a way to actually coexist. Oh, maybe. One day. But no, I, I get it. But as you were talking, for some reason, I'm trying to figure out why there's 91,085 reviews for Kaba. Oh, like uh, like Yelp reviews? Google reviews. Yeah. Well, do you want do you want to hit me with a couple to see yeah. if they're an intelligible language we can understand? Yeah, let's go with Lois first. Uh, first one: low square footage, traffic noise is unbearable, plus amenities not even that great. Climate is subpar. Holy place, uh-huh. uh, that's a one star review, by the way. Yeah. All right, holy place, I love more than my life. One star. Worst place, not hala. Halala, very bad. It's great to be there and wish to go again. One star was good. All right, here's a here's a decently length. Six years ago, one star review. Beautiful architecture, but the people weren't very friendly. For the duration of my my tip, most people seemed uninterested and withdrawn from from life. Trance like, I believe that's supposed to say trip, and I almost did that, but I'm reading it the way it is. The crowding was expected. But do the manners have to go out the window? But do manners have to go out the window? Excuse me. All I, all in all, an interesting trip to see what all the fuss was about. Wouldn't recommend it to the wimpy traveler, though. Travel here to for the experience and not the people. If you travel here with any expectations of fun or positive interactions with fellow humans, you will not find that at Becca. All right, that's the lowest review. Let's go to the highest review. This, by the way, went to the rapture. All right, so it's it's not low. Okay, there we go. Highest review. I really feel proud to be able to visit Kaba Kaba with my family, and it's gold opportunity for me. Most beautiful and peaceful place in this world. Religious, no shit. Relaxing, spiritual, beautiful. Random capitalizations on certain words in this, by the way. Forget about all your problems as soon as you enter the mosque and pray. You will feel much better and your prayers will come true. Just be patient. Your shit. And by the way, every time I see these pictures with the, the giant black thing of Kaba, I uh, can only think of Spider-Man now. Well, that's perception for you. Thank I you. alter perception by giving you a compelling piece of material. And your mind auto-completes. And as long as we know it's a joke, it's cool. But what if you stop remembering that it's a joke? <laughs> then we got problems. Uh, so let's say, from what you read, we have evidence of the passage of time and the lingering wave of understanding among people in a world that has shifted significantly in terms of travel patterns, 
uh, ability to host X number of people within a certain place. Because the idea of a Hajj, the idea of a holy right to travel to the source of the belief, that's it, it, it's beautiful as a concept. Endure a journey of hardships to test and prove your faith so that you arrive somewhere that's a significant experience in your life, possibly once in your lifetime. And if you get there, that's the validation and reward you need. You've grown stronger, you have te you're tempered, and you can pursue your life in a godly fashion following this. The exercise makes sense. Okay. One-star review. It was crowded. I hated it. Understandable, because it's still... The, the, the value of the journey is still retained in people's minds. So, the Holy Trip exists. But isn't it interesting that it's a dehumanizing experience? Because there's no fireside gathering of travelers who came from different corners of the earth discussing their journeys. It's, ah, fucking hated it. I got there, I saw it, I touched it. Good, going home. Get some falafel on the way back. You're doing it as an obligation. You're doing it because I, I guess I have to. That kind of thing. The act exists. The nature has changed. And you still disconnect this entire process from the facilitation because isn't it weird to think that a holy building still has a janitor, someone to deal with the human remains that, that litter the journey process, have to spit shine and polish and wipe. So somebody gets to see the inside parts, probably without any reference. It's just a structure. It's a monument. It draws attention. It's doing its job by being a focal point. Everyone else is under the illusion, or at least is under the, under the effect of the illusion. The caretakers probably aren't. And don't let the believers know that, because they might just get this collective idea to, well, tear you to pieces. How dare you, non-believer, touch this holy thing that I find holy. Spider-Mech. Excuse me, Spider-Mech. How dare you? I find it very curious that this exists and is logistically less and less possible to do. But the meme was installed so potently amid the faith that people still go through the motions while they don't understand what they're doing. Now, this could have happened to the, to the uh, Tunguska site, but circumstances did not let that happen. A rock fell from the sky. Effects were felt. But nobody had a religious awakening or built a shrine there, as far as I can tell. Can you tell the differences? Can, can you speculate as to why? Uh, because one man didn't show up and say this is a holy spot and this came from God, and the other one was done in modern times and was seen by a bunch of people when it blew the hell up. Hey, I would imagine even the Kaaba is not a result of one man. I think it's probably a deeply concerted effort. It took people a little while to figure out what even happened, much less formulate the idea that this was sent purposefully, and then we built a temple around it. It might have even been suggested by local governance. You know what? We can spin this. Yeah, it, it killed a lot of crops and, uh, and uh, livestock with the impact and ruined a lot of shit. We can still make this purposeful and then get the people to pay to toll booth fees to travel on the way. Admission to the church is free. The usage of the roads is not. Parkinson rules. <laughs> and even looking at the anatomy of this place as well, 
the corners are significant because we built a belief structure around this. There is, uh, let's see, the Yemeni, the Syrian, the Iraqi, and black stone corner. I see. This is fascinating. The, the anatomy of what the belief is meant to signify is, is really involved. And I bet you at least a third of the people making the journey have no idea. Probably not. I would have to agree with you that. They have no idea. What's the fucking point? You're told to do if it. You, if, Just go to do it. If you go to see the spider mech, and you don't know the holy components of parts, why are you doing the thing? Yeah, you're told. Like you say, you're told to do it. But how hard do you push that lie? Oh, you push and when it. somebody starts paying attention and saying, hey, why are we doing this? Do you silence them immediately or later? Uh, you silence them later. Okay. The covering the Holy Kaaba. In masks. This is a recent picture. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're deeply off topic now, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no. Uh, uh, there's nothing else right now that I could say. Uh, probably the next time when I we head hit to this podcast. I'll uh, probably have The Witcher done and some of the Fat and the Furious films. You you're gonna watch The Witcher? Or are you gonna watch it because you're supposed to? I'm gonna watch it because I enjoyed season one. Ah, fair enough. I might do some looking into, but I've been very hesitant. I I like it. Uh, the person they have playing Siri, I think, could do a good job. I don't know. I don't know the description of Siri. I know what she looks like in the games. And I guess they got the closest they could get, but I don't know. She hasn't done a bad job so far. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoy your Polish-flavored Game of Thrones. Will do. And I, for my part, will probably make uh, delicious chicken and mashed potatoes and continue my journey through Dark Souls 3, which I will mention uh, my experience with Dark Souls 2 has deeply damaged my biases towards the game. So the previous two I did almost no grinding for. And it's not really required in Dark Souls 3, but goddamn, I spent extra time making numbers go up that isn't strictly necessary just to hit a certain kind of rhythm. Huh. We'll discuss it more when I have a more complete opinion. I gotcha. I'll have to finally play the Dark Souls games one day. Uh, if, if I can get you the right mindset, you'll get a lot out of it. But I've had people recently do the, like, just do the meme response... They just blurt back the thing without a lot of consideration. And the thing is, well, I just can't justify like wasting my time on difficult things. That shit doesn't work for me. I just it's, it's just hard. And that again shows me that we're not attaining context. We're not staring at the spider back together. You're just repeating base impressions. I can translate translate this for you, and you may get a lot more out of it. But if you're unwilling, then there's nothing more to talk about here for now. Nope. Well, sir, it sounds like we're winding this down. So uh, for Grime and Game, I've been Nutchucks. Robbie. And don't forget, guys, if you want to watch us play video games, right now we're doing Disco Elysium. Uh, you can find us on our YouTube channel at Grime and Game. You can also listen to this if you're watching it on YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. So until next time, guys, we'll see you then. Take care.